This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off the my lighting up. Oi. From my friends. The star of the show. Oi. Oi. I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi. This Oi. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. Welcome to Sid and Friends. I am not Sid, but I am one of his friends. I'm Frank Morano. Sid Rosenberg will be returning in 2023. I will be with you to kick off this edition of Sid and Friends. And then uh, beginning at 7 a.m., Curtis Lewa and John Katsimatidis will take you the rest of the way. What a show yesterday. I mean, obviously, the biggest story politically right now is this George Santos situation. And George Santos has been continuing this media tour. He was on Tucker Carlson's program last night. He did an interview with Tulsi Gabbard, who I'm a big fan of, and I have been for years. And I'll be honest, she's my candidate for president in 2024. I don't know that she's running. Uh, Apparently, all indications are she's not. But if I had my druthers, that's who I'd pick. She did a terrific interview with Santos yesterday, and she basically asked him the question, What is the definition of decency? And then she proceeded for the next six and a half minutes to allow uh, Santos to uh, bury himself, for lack of a better word. So I thought that was uh, was really interesting. So the last couple of days that we've been trying to do this this hour, I had a dream, not quite as ambitious as the dream of someone like Martin Luther King, but more of an aspiration, I'll say. I had a dream of uh, creating a new radio format, right? Obviously, nobody can compete with the newsmakers that John Katsimatidis has on hand. I was listening yesterday as I was driving home. Uh, He and Curtis did a great job. One minute you get Obie Murray. The next minute you get Anthony Weiner. The next minute you get Robert Zimmerman. I thought Zimmerman's comments were uh, were really interesting uh, and uh, a little outlandish. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that is not taking any responsibility for this Santos scandal. That interview yesterday, uh, uh, John Katsimatidis asked him, where was the opposition research? How did this not come out? And Zimmerman's response was like something out of the Twilight Zone. Essentially, Zimmerman said, well, you know, we got some opposition research and we gave it to the Times. But, uh, I mean, I I don't think you can look at this as anything but a tremendous failing of the oppo research on the part of both uh, Zimmerman and Tom Swazi. Two years ago. Now, I don't think people should run for office and be tasked with finding a way to destroy their opponent and digging up every skeleton their opponent has ever buried. I don't think that's what politics should be about. I think and it's one of the reasons uh, I'm for ranked choice voting, because if you're in a broad multi-candidate race and I'm running against Diego and Justin Ellick and Noam Layden and I destroy Noam Layden in a ranked choice voting race. Chances are Gnome supporters would not rank me second. They'd probably rank me last. And uh, I think that's part of the rationale why ranked choice voting kind of makes electoral politics more civil. But um, that uh, there's no telling what's in store on Curtis and Katz from 7 to 10 
this morning. But anyway, back to the dream that I had. I dreamt of a very new radio format where I would read through the headlines of the newspaper, tell you what they are, give you my opinion on them, and then give the phone number and invite you to call in and offer your opinion. I, to the best of my knowledge, that format has never been tried in the history of radio. I said, look, it's a holiday week. We're going to experiment. We'll throw it out there. We'll see how it works out. But here was the problem. We had no newspapers all week. No newspapers. I guess people are off. Whoever delivers them is off on vacation. Okay, makes sense. I get it. So, this morning, I'm sorry, this is my bell. Um, this morning, we got the newspapers. And I ran to claim these newspapers. I devoured these newspapers. And I'm going to tell you what's in them. We're going to try this format today to see how it works out. Curtis Lewa runs in. He sees me with these newspapers, which leads me to think he was the person that took the newspapers the previous two days. Sees me with these newspapers and follows me uh, the way uh, that uh, Chuck Schumer would follow a TV camera on a Sunday morning. And he claims these newspapers when I'm done with them. And he, he's looking through these newspapers. He said, oh, are you done with this? I said, no, Curtis. I didn't even start looking at them. Back off. Back off. And so um, he's claimed them when I'm done. But here's the problem. About a year ago, the same situation emerged. And I was doing the 5 a.m. hour at the time, not nearly as well as uh, Noam Layden is doing it this week. By the way, I'm getting a ton of incredible feedback. Uh, I don't know if uh, you feel the same way, but I'm getting a ton of great feedback about uh, how Noam Layden is uh, just hitting it out of the park this week as the anchor of that uh, 5 a.m. hour, especially like that Larry Elder story he did, which we'll tell you about in a minute. But um, about a year ago, I did the same thing. I grabbed all these newspapers, and I started going through them. And who follows me in? Not Curtis Lewa on this particular incident a year ago, but it was Bernard McGurk, the dearly departed Bernard McGurk, great guy, good friend. And he said, look, you know, I need that Wall Street Journal. And he points to the Wall Street Journal. And he points to the name on the Wall Street Journal. And it's his name, Bernard McGurk. And he said to me when we went to commercial, he said, look, you know, I'm not trying to be a stickler. I'm not trying to give you a hard time. But he said, I pay for this Wall Street Journal subscription myself. It's not the radio station. I pay for this myself. So I, I get this just for me. I said, OK. And I never touched the Wall Street Journal again. But it was an interesting story. Today, I grabbed these newspapers, which have now been preemptively claimed by Curtis Lewa. The name on the newspaper is our general counsel. I think that's her title. Emily Pankow. On all three newspapers. So by taking these newspapers and then promising them to Curtis Lewa, am I at significant risk of alienating Emily because I've now taken her newspapers the way I nearly alienated Bernard McGurk a year ago? I'm not sure. So my plan for this is to make a quick exit at 7 a.m., Put these newspapers wherever Curtis has to be happens to be sitting at the time and then blame Curtis if there's later newspaper controversy. Obviously, a lot of that plan is waylaid by me confessing this so openly. But who knows? Maybe Emily's not listening. We'll see. Let me tell you what's in the news. Hey, this weekend is going to be New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And look, I am a heavy drinker, right? And um, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but I think that's probably what you hear from most people that are alcoholics. And uh, 
New Year's Eve is a holiday that I don't really care for because it's amateur night. It is a night where you have all these people that never drink and they get drunk and they embarrass themselves and they're vomiting all over the place and they're drinking and driving and they're making those of us that drink heavily all year round, they're making us look like, you know, they're making us look like we have a, a, a bad time, right? They're making it look bad for us. So, This, because some of you may be imbibing this weekend, or those of you that are traditionally heavy drinkers like me, might be um, sharing my frustration at these amateurs that are drinking one night a year. Here is a headline that caught my interest. People who drink frequently may be what they call, quote, gray area drinkers. Have you ever heard this term, gray area drinkers? I have to tell you, this was a new one for me. Sure enough, Dr. Akash Shah, the chief of Jersey Shore University's Medical Center's Addiction Medical Center, told uh, CBS News that gray area drinkers don't have a physical dependency on alcohol, so they can't be labeled as alcoholics, but the tendencies are similar. See, this gets me a little nervous here. Quote, I think the term falls into this gray area because it doesn't yet meet the medical definitions of alcoholism, but I think that risk is there. Now, my question is this. Did Dr. Shah and CBS News have to come out with this story right before New Year's Eve? Here you have a situation where people like me, we're feeling good about ourselves, we're relatively confident that we're able to hold down a job, that we're not alcoholics, or if we are alcoholics, we're at least functional alcoholics, and we're able to do things and keep a schedule and keep our lives together. And there, lo and behold, Dr. Shah comes in and raining on our bourbon-infused parade by saying, oh, no, you don't. You think you're not an alcoholic? Well, you may not be, but you're a gray area drinker. I mean, you talk about something that's going to put you in a gray mood. He couldn't wait till after New Year's to put this out there. This was a little much. So that was disappointing. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, anything we're talking about or if you happen to be a gray area drinker. Now, this is another story that really caught my eye. Over the last couple of years, I have become a believer in astrology. And now I'm not uh, an expert in, in, in astrology. I have no idea if your sign is this and that person's sign is that, if that means you're compatible or you're going to be enemies. I have no idea what kind of characteristics the various signs have. I, I don't believe that. I'll tell you what's made me a believer in it. Really, it's my brother-in-law, Josh, who's uh, kind of an astrologer in his own right. But every day I go through the news. And I go through what happened this day in history, and I go through the birthdays. And the thing that I find so amazing on a daily basis is it so often seems that um, people who have similar things that they're famous for happen to be born the same day. Meaning uh, it's not unusual to find five Famous musicians all born the same day. It's not unusual to find uh, five famous athletes all born the same day. And to me, that's a little too much of a coincidence to have all these folks who happen to have similar areas of expertise and similar skill sets all born the same day. To me, you know, for instance, you know what first put me in this mode? Coming up in, um, you know, in January, it's Howard Stern's birthday. 
You know who shares a birthday with Howard Stern? Rush Limbaugh. Now, what are the chances of that, that you take two of the greatest radio commentators in my lifetime, two of the most successful radio commentators in my lifetime, and they happen to be born the same day? So I have come to have a certain respect for the field of astrology. I'm interested in learning more about it. I'm interested in what it says about us. And uh, that's why I've been reading this astrologer, Rita Weigel, in the uh, New York Post. And uh, she's very good. I've had her as a guest on the other side of midnight. And if you're hearing me for the first time and you're wondering who is this velvet-voiced villain, uh, I am the uh, host of The Other Side of Midnight, which you could hear every morning from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. If you ever miss it, just check out the podcast at wabcradio.com. Click on the podcast button. And um, she's really interesting. And she has this column in uh, today's New York Post all about Nostradamus. Now, Nostradamus is not the uh, is not Quasimodo. He was not the hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, contrary to what uh, Bobby Bacala on The Sopranos might say. But um, he was a French astrologer, and he is someone who made a lot of predictions in his lifetime. Now, a lot of the predictions kind of depend on how you view them. Uh, do you view them uh, literally? Do you view them as symbolically? And a lot of the predictions that he did make, folks have said, haven't really come true. Well, as the year's coming to a close, some people are looking, including Rita Weigel, at some of these Nostradamus predictions. Um, Nostradamus was a 16th century astrologer, plague doctor, and somebody that has been credited with foretelling the Great Fire of London, with uh, predicting Hitler's rise to power, with predicting the September 11th attacks and the COVID pandemic. Sometimes he's referred to as the prophet of doom. Nostradamus's bleak worldview is believed to have been shaped by heavy doses of the Old Testament and the trauma of losing his wife. So according to Rita Weigel, this is some of what uh, Nostradamus is predicting for 2023. And again, this is her interpretation of, um, you know, uh, of these Nostradamus predictions. So take it with a grain of salt. But in a passage about marine annihilation, Nostradamus predicts, quote, like the sun, the hedge shall, shall sear the shining sea. The Black Sea's living fish shall all but boil. Now, some people are saying this is an accurate prediction or analysis about research that suggests many of the most commonly eaten fish species could face extinction as a result of global warming, i.e. boiling the Earth's oceans. With one of humanity's major food sources in peril, maybe we'll take to eating one another. That's what Rita Weigel writes. The B Buckingham Palace being ablaze. Nostradamus predicted 2K23, which is presumably the year 2023, will see, quote, celestial fire on the royal edifice. Taken literally, this could mean that a meteor is headed straight for Buckingham Palace. I don't know where Rita Weigel gets Buckingham Palace from. I mean, there's a lot of monarchies in the world. Why not the uh, palace wherever the Saudi royals hang out or the Sultan of Brunei or the uh, the Emperor of Japan? I don't know why she assumes it's Buckingham Palace, but it is interesting. On a more metaphorical note, 
Rita Weigel writes that it could be Prince Harry and Meghan Markle who recently released this bombshell Netflix series detailing the dark deeds committed against them by the Crown. And this is the last one I'll mention. And if you want to comment on this, you can. 800-848-9222. Nostradamus writes that uh, 2K23 will find the world embroiled in, quote, seven months great war, people dead through evil. This could apply, albeit a bit late, to the firefight, to the devastating conflict in Ukraine, which thus far has been marked by, you know, a heavy civilian death toll. But in terms of the evil Nostradamus is, is predicting here, Rita Weigel is saying maybe it's about uh, Vladimir Putin. So who knows? Uh, World War Three, global warming, Buckingham Palace on fire, and uh, one of the readings she even interprets for one of these Nostradamus predictions is that maybe the Antichrist will show up. Um, uh, that's a bit of a stretch. I think that's one of the things that they put in there just to get people to click on the article. I'm curious if you put any stock into these Nostradamus predictions, or uh, if you have any predictions of your own for 2023, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your calls in just a minute. Uh, As uh, Noam Layden mentioned last hour, I did interview Larry Elder about five hours ago. Larry Elder, many of you may know, he's been a nationally syndicated radio talk show host for a long time. These days, he's not on radio regularly, but he's on television. He does a TV program with the Epoch Times. And he sort of became a national figure politically in running in that California recall election. He finished first out of any of the Republicans that were running. And there were some high-profile Republicans running, the former mayor of San Diego, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, the former Olympian, and so forth. And Larry Elder did better than any of them, and he got a lot of media attention. So now Larry Elder told me a couple hours ago that he actually is looking seriously at running for president of the United States. And he assured me it was not for publicity. He assured me that this was going to be a substantive campaign focused on issues that he really cares about. Because I think I can bring a couple of things to the table that the other candidates can't bring. Obviously, I'll be talking about the fact that our borders are overrun, uh, the fact that a 40-year high of of inflation, uh, the fact that we're no longer energy independent. Obviously, I'll be talking about those kinds of things. So I asked Larry, is he sort of positioning himself as one of the Trump alternatives? Because it's no secret that a lot of Republicans uh, are hoping for an option other than Donald Trump. Now, a lot of those options have centered around, you know, people in politics, folks like Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Glenn Youngkin, Chris Christie, uh, Larry Hogan, uh, Tim Scott, um, Asa Hutchinson. But he assured me that wasn't the case. He said he had no problem supporting Trump if Trump were the nominee, but uh, he's been trying to raise some money. And if you want to learn more about his website and some of his visions for the country, you can go to elderforamerica.com. And he says he's serious about this. So I'm curious how you would view a potential elder candidacy. And one of the stars of The View is in some hot water again for comments that she made about the Holocaust. I'll tell you what they are. I'm sure by now you've already guessed who it is. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC.
This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. I'm Frank Morano sitting in this hour. Uh, next hour, you will hear Curtis and Katz uh, for the rest of the show. And they're going to be here all four hours uh, tomorrow. I love it when those two get together because you never know what's going to come out of either, either of their mouths. You never know who the next guest is going to be uh, coming on. It's a show that makes news and is totally unpredictable. And in a media climate where everything is so safe, so sanitized, so boring, quite frankly, it's so nice to hear a radio show that's unpredictable and where you don't know what's going to happen or who's going to be on. So it's, uh, it's always exciting uh, when they, those guys come on. Hey, um, the Anti-Defamation League, their head... Jonathan Greenblatt yesterday called out actress and comedian Whoopi Goldberg for what he said were offensive remarks about the Holocaust. You know what I've learned about the Holocaust? Uh, Almost any remark that you make other than how terrible it was, almost anything else that you say about it will be construed by someone as being offensive or insensitive, at the very least. And uh, that was certainly the case with Jay Greenblatt. So, Whoopi Goldberg did an interview with the Sunday Times, in which she told this London-based newspaper that the Holocaust wasn't originally about race. Here's a quote. Remember who they were killing first. They were not killing racial, they were killing physical. They were killing people they considered to be mentally defective. And then they made this decision. Um, Now, Whoopi Goldberg, after she was blasted by uh, Jonathan Greenblatt and the ADL, she has said her remarks were totally misinterpreted. And she said uh, she put out a statement attempting to clarify these remarks. She said that she was referencing her past hurtful remarks which she has taken back and apologized for, not doubling down on them. This is what Greenblatt said. Whoopi Goldberg's comments about the Holocaust and race are deeply offensive and incredibly disappointing, especially given that this is not the first time she had made remarks like this. In a moment when anti-Semitic incidents have surged across the U.S., she should realize that making such ignorant statements can have real consequences. Now, what's he referring to? What she What's she referring to? She's talking about remarks that uh, she made on The View earlier this year when she was actually suspended two weeks by ABC News. ABC News, by the way, has no affiliation whatsoever with WABC Radio. Uh, The only thing we have in common are those three letters. No same ownership, no same management, not owned by the same company, nothing to do with us. But we don't even carry ABC News anymore. So she was suspended for two weeks by ABC News for her previous remarks on the Holocaust, where she said this. The Holocaust isn't about race. No. No. It's well, not about maybe race. Maybe it's, it's, no, it's about a different it's, race. But it's, it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. Now, she was suspended for that, and she then came on the air and she apologized. It is indeed about race, because Hitler and the Nazis considered Jews to be an inferior race. Now, words matter, and mine are no exception. I regret my comments, as I said, and I stand corrected. I also stand with the Jewish people. I um, am somebody that 
you know, I'm not the biggest Whoopi Goldberg fan. I don't really think about Whoopi Goldberg, really. But um, I am someone that was willing to accept her apology, not that I'm the arbiter. Uh, I'm not even Jewish. I'm not, I'm not the arbiter of what's an acceptable apology or not. But in general, and look, I say this as somebody that probably says eight stupid things a day in the four or five hours that I'm speaking every day. In general, I tend to um, think that we as people should recognize if someone is going out of their way to be ignorant or be woefully offensive and make a slur, like when uh, Jesse Jackson made those remarks about Jaime Town or when uh, uh, Kylie Irving repeatedly says how he likes Hitler. Now, that, that's really blatantly offensive remarks. This is an interpretation of the Holocaust, which is probably not accurate and which could be offensive to a lot of people. And she apologized for it. And I'm willing to cut her some slack. And when she says that this was a reference to previous remarks that she made, I kind of think we should give her the benefit of the doubt on this. Now, not that she would do that for somebody that she doesn't care for, but I think people shouldn't rush to condemn and uh, and denounce, well, and say that they're offended. And one of the things that I've seen from the ADL and Jonathan Greenblatt is they, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt has always got to be offended by something. And he's always got to be upset about something. And there's a big difference between the remarks that Whoopi Goldberg made here and remarks that people like Kyrie Irving and Kanye West have made. And uh, I think Greenblatt loves to get people whipped up into a frenzy, point their finger, almost like Harold Hill in The Music Man, point their finger at this remark or that remark and say, isn't that outrageous? Isn't that outrageous? And he uses this as a way to raise money for the ADL. I'm curious what you think of Whoopi's, not the remarks that I just played you, but the remarks that uh, Jonathan Greenblatt is denouncing. Do you accept her explanation that she was just trying to explain her previous remarks? She wasn't doubling down on them. 800-848-9222. You're welcome to comment on anything we have covered thus far. I am uh, taking you till 7 o'clock when you'll get to hear Curtis and Katz. By the way, I want to thank listener Miss M, who said that uh, my interpretation of um, people who have the same birthday it's not astrology. It's more like numerology. Well, I guess I'm showcasing my my own ignorance. So be it. All right. We will uh, get to your calls in just a moment. There are one, two, three, four open lines uh, if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. Traffic and sports are coming up next. But right now, it's time for the 77 WABC clip of the day. Listen to Bo Deedle's true crime on the Apple Red Apple Podcast Network. It's an in-depth look at crimes and the stories behind them. You can download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Here, Bo says we need to honor and support the families of heroes. My heart goes out to Mr. Aaron Salter and his family up in Buffalo. You're a real American hero. We should be honoring him in New York State. And this knucklehead governor, Hochul, should be honoring him and giving his family all the support that they can have where they can take care of their family and they don't have to worry about money. We give them money away to all the illegal immigrants, but this is a perfect example of a police officer that gave his life, and we should be rewarding him and his family 
for the rest of their lives that they don't have to worry about money. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Well, it is 6.34 here on your Wednesday morning. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Again, thanks to Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers, Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com for a dealer near you. They are America's best built. Boilers start on the hardwood here in the Knicks. They suffer a loss out in Dallas to the Mavericks. 126-121 to 121 is your final score. It took overtime to decide this one, which I'm sure the Knicks really wish it hadn't, as the extra time just allowed Dallas's Luka Doncic to pad his ridiculous stats for the evening and set the table for a triple-double, really unlike the league has seen before. Doncic had a franchise record 60 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists, including this tying basket off his intentionally missed free throw to force overtime with just a second left on the clock. Nothing shocks me about this game. And that drew rim, it's still Call courtesy of Valley Sports Southwest. This one stinks for the Knicks, who were without star point guard Jalen Brunson, who's absent for the first time all season. They'll see if they can bounce back tomorrow night in San Antonio against the Spurs, I should say. Over on the ice, the Islanders and Rangers both in action. The Islanders, they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins at home by a score of 5-1. to one. Barzell and Lee each netted a pair. Josh Bailey registered a goal and an assist as well in the Isles. They built a little momentum here with their second straight win. Complete and utter domination on the part of New York all night long. But they pulled away in a second period that saw them out shoot Pittsburgh a whopping 20-4. to They'll see if they can make it three straight Ws tomorrow night when the Columbus Blue Jackets come into town. As for the Rangers, they weren't as lucky if they get completely outplayed by visiting Washington Capitals team out at the Garden. Falling 4 to nothing in the process. Marcus Johansson, Eric Gustafson, and Lars Eller each lit the lamp for Washington. And tender Darcy Kumpfer stifled the Blue Shirts with his 32 saves and a route to the road win for the Caps. Rangers were white hot coming into the week, so last night's flat performance, hopefully an outlier as they get ready to visit the Tampa Bay Lightning up next tomorrow night. And looking ahead to tonight out in Atlanta, the Nets pay the Hawks a visit at 7.30 p.m. And uh, uh, Newark, Boston Bruins will pay the Devils a visit on the ice at 7.30 p.m. as well. Here with your bottom of the hour sports update, I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Wouldn't it be nice if we This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. I'm Frank Morano sitting in for Sid Rosenberg with you until 7. And then John Katsimatidis and Curtis Sliwa will take you the rest of the way. Sid is going to be back in the year 2023. And uh, if you uh, like any of what you hear and you want to hear my program and you don't find yourself awake between the hours of 1 and 5 a.m., you can certainly download the podcast. Just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on any podcast app or go to WABCradio.com. If you do listen, you can still go on iTunes and give us a nice five-star rating because that will help more people discover our podcast. Hey, um, one of the Christmas gifts that I gave my mom, not this year but last year, Looks like it might come in uh, awfully handy. COVID cases are spiking 
across China. It's no secret. We've talked about this. And this uh, zero COVID policy, which Xi Jinping has been implementing, is just a, a spectacular failure, in my opinion. And you know what is flying off the shelves and it's selling like hotcakes out there in China? Fruits rich in vitamin C are selling for, ready for this? Two to three times their usual price. Oranges, lemons, limes. They're calling this lemonflation. I'm not joking. Lemonflation is gripping China. Because everyone has COVID, they're trying to consume all this vitamin C. So if you're like my mom and you have a lemon tree, maybe there's a way for you to make a couple extra bucks and sell some lemons to China. We're certainly buying enough Chinese products, everything from uh, prescription drugs to iPhones to clothing. Maybe this is our opportunity to sell the Chinese some some of our products. And I'm certainly not suggesting price gouging, but eh, uh, would they do that to us? That's the question. All right. Uh, Speaking of COVID, let me tell you something that is going to be completely unsurprising to you on the one hand and then completely astonishing to you on the other. A new study from a Stanford economist has found that learning losses among K through 12 students, elementary school students during the pandemic, which have been well documented, well covered. These learning losses for kids that, you know, had no school during the pandemic and remote learning. I mean, if you look at what people were saying during the pandemic, this is one of the few areas that Donald Trump and Bill de Blasio agreed upon which is we need to get kids back in school as quickly as possible. Turns out they were right because it looks like they're estimating that the pandemic and the shutdowns, the lockdowns, could result in 5.6% lower lifetime earnings for children that live through this lockdown. They're on pace to earn, if not reversed, 5.6% less than their counterparts from other age groups before and after that didn't live through that lockdown. Isn't that amazing? I am sure one day soon there will be another pandemic. I don't know whether it's going to be RSV or flu or COVID-27, whatever the case may be. I hope that we learn some of the lessons from the uh, restrictive lockdown procedures that we observed in 2020 and 2021, because that's an eye-opening statistic, in my judgment. All right, talking about um, astrology, Nostradamus, Whoopi Goldberg, Larry Elder, George Santos, you name it. You have a Chinese menu, not trying to be offensive there, of uh, topics to choose from. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Queens. Hello there, Joe. Yeah, hi. I just want to make a comment about um, about Whoopi Goldberg. I'm a son of Holocaust survivors. So my question to her is, was the slave trade racial or was it economic? Because I could make a, a case for either one. And um, it, it's true that it was economic in the sense that plantation owners wanted cheap labor. Slave traders could have gotten slaves from anywhere around the world. They happened to have gotten them from Africa, unfortunately, and unfortunately from wherever they would get them. So that's my question to her. Well, so, but I guess I'm not understanding the purpose of your question, Joe. Is the purpose of your question saying 
that uh, because you're, you're Jewish that uh, you're offended by her remarks and let me offend you by ask, by saying something that's similarly inflammatory? My 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 situation. My question is that anybody can distort anything in any situation. The fact is, if she read Mein Kampf, race was the dominant theme in Hitler's book Mein Kampf about his plan for the Greater well, Germany yeah. and the Thousand Year Reich. A- absolutely, Joe. And, and look, when in her apology uh, that I played, she did acknowledge that she was ignorant on this subject. And look, I have no interest in being a Whoopi Goldberg apologist. My question for you is. Is Jonathan Greenblatt and the ADL, is he um, being is he being a little too quick to condemn with this recent Whoopi Goldberg remark to the Sunday Times? Do you accept her explanation that she was just trying to talk about what she had previously gotten in trouble for and not trying to reiterate it? Or do you think this is a sincerely held belief that she has? Uh, it's a it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult thing to answer. I I really don't know what's in her heart. I would hope that uh, it is a situation where she was trying trying to just um, you know uh, just you know just uh, explain her previous comment. Uh, my suggestion to her is that uh, her and, uh, and Greenblatt go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington D.C. and and the African American Museum in Washington D.C. on the same day and educate each other. About about each other's history. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Vic is in North Bergen. Hello, Vic. Yes, good morning, Frank. You see, what the people like um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg don't understand is that back then, when anthropology began with people like uh, the French anthropologist Gobineau at the early part of the 19th century, uh, they tended to use the term race interchangeably with ethnicity. So you had things like the Italian race, the French race, the German race, the English race, and so on. And uh, so uh, Hitler picked up on this. Now, the idea of race really came to an end in the middle of the uh, 20th century with Franz Boas, who was this anthropologist who declared that there were no such things as races anymore. This, this was basically racist to talk about race. So that's, that's the beginning, really, and, and the end of race. So I, she, she, you know, she obviously is not an academic. Uh, she basically thinks in terms of there are basically three races in the world, three types of people. There are black people, there are white people, and there's everybody else. This is the way she thinks. Now, this is just pure ignorance, and there's a good stoic that I am, a good follower of Marcus Aurelius, who basically believes that, listen, they're just ignorant. You have to forgive them. So that's, that's you know, the, 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 the notion of race was born in Europe uh, as a result of European exploring the third world. By the way, nobody was exploring Europeans. It was European, the ships left from Europe, and they explored the rest of the world, okay? Um, and, and, and they tried to make sense of the people out there, you know, uh, from the time of Magellan and, and, and uh, Admiral Cook and other... Vic, uh, Vic, I got to run. I love your accent. I would listen to you talk all day, and I, I think you happen to make a lot of sense. All right. Um, I'm going to share some more of the thoughts that I'm getting. People are emailing about this. They're uh, Facebooking about this. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And we will continue with more of your calls in a moment, not just on Whoopi Goldberg, but uh, Larry Elder, George Santos, anything we've covered this hour, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. 
This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. You know, I'm sorry. As we were going to break, I said this is the other side of midnight. You know, you say that uh, 40 times a day for five days a week for two years. It gets to be habit. And I was so good all week. I didn't say it once until just now. So my apologies. This is, of course, Sid and Friends in the Morning. You are listening to the right station. Final thoughts on this Whoopi Goldberg situation. I got a very funny message here from a, a listener named Christopher. Uh, he wrote to me on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Morano Vision. Most of what I post on Instagram is just photos of my one-year-old son. So I'm not producing a lot of radio-related content on there. But he found me on there. And he writes this. With regards to what Whoopi Goldberg said, it brought to mind a friend of mine who had an affair with a Zumba instructor. And his wife found out, and they patched things up, and then one day there was a commercial on the television set with a Zumba classes, with a Zumba class. And he got up to walk away. If she's like, oh, where are you going, LOL? And I said to him, it'd probably be best if you never said Zumba in front of her again, and just to be safe, probably don't say any word that begins with Z in front of her, LOL. And for Whoopi, it would probably be best to never talk about the Holocaust again, That is such a good point, Christopher. She has got a very well-paying gig that gives her a lot of visibility. And why would you open up that can of worms again? That's a fair point. Even if her explanation is legitimate, and I think we should uh, accept her explanation, why would you bring this up again, right? If Let's say the interviewer for the Sunday Times asked her the question. I would have just said, you know, I've addressed this before. I made some insensitive remarks, and I've apologized for it. Why try to give additional context between behind these remarks that you have already taken back? But I also got a very thoughtful email here from a great listener who was uh, very astute, and she writes, be careful when you say that Jonathan Greenblatt is using his outrage at others comments to raise money for the ADL, it's a pretty insensitive thing for you to say. I'm not saying anything about whether you or not you agree with his outrage, but words matter. And by saying this, it's too easy for many to see this as giving credibility to their preconceived notions about, quote, money-hungry Jews. Let me say I am not backing off that uh, criticism at all. Jonathan Greenblatt had two possible approaches to this. He could have called Whoopi Goldberg up. I'm sure she would have taken the call. And said, look, I I think, you know, the comments that you've made are offensive, tone deaf and ignorant. Explain to me why you made them and let me explain to you why I'm hurt by them. He didn't do that. He ran to the media guaranteeing himself and the ADL more publicity and by extension more money. And I'm not going to back off that criticism just because he happens to be Jewish. I'm not going to worry that anything I say could be perceived as offensive by someone and allow this kind of behavior to go unchallenged. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Chris in Bethpage. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. uh, I'll be real quick. Uh, Four quick things. The irony of somebody with the last name Goldberg who has culturally appropriated that last name talking about the Holocaust is very, you know, has anyone pointed that out, first of all? Um, secondly, uh, Noel Blaine, I used to listen to him all the time, coming before I, I miss, he's great. You guys got to fit him in. I love that Valentine, but Noel Blaine is fantastic. 
Okay, number two. Number three, numerology. If you notice, around April 20th, unfortunately, Hitler's birthday, so many great tragedies happened around Hitler's birthday. And, uh, you know, you can look them all up, but, you know, the bombing in Oklahoma City, I could go on and on. Fourthly, last thing, uh, December 30th, in two days, arguably the greatest pitcher of all time, Sandy Colfax, was born that day. Um, LeBron James, one of the top two basketball players of all time, and Tiger Woods, probably the greatest golfer of all time, all born on December 30th in two days. Interesting. Uh, interesting, Chris. Thank you. And I agree with your comments on Noam Layden. Uh, you know, I've, I've known Noam and worked with Noam uh, off and on for the better part of uh, 16 years, and I have never uh, come across a uh, better broadcast professional than Noam. And he's really a, a five-tool talent, a great news writer, a great news anchor, a great reporter. And actually, and I don't know if he's had a chance to flex this, mus- this muscle yet in this latest iteration of his tenure here, a fine talk show host as well. John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. I'll be quick. I agree with you about the recall with Santos. Uh, I lived in Arizona for years, and they use recall successfully, and it's time we adopt recall here in New York State. Uh, as for Larry Elder, that was a great interview you did with him. Thank so, you. So thank you. And uh, as a Republican, I might consider him as a possible candidate. Uh, just quickly, I'm a skeptic, so I don't accept atheism. And let me just conclude by saying that you deserve a straight A from me. Oh, well, that's very kind, John. I appreciate that, John. I hope you have a great new year. I hope we get to chat again uh, quite a bit next year. All right. That's it for me. I am turning over uh, the program to the capable hands of Curtis Sliwa and John Katsimatidis. I will be uh, back on uh, Tuesday, January... Whatever the first Tuesday of January is. Frank Moreno, good day. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at Info at GoboLaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off even by lighting up. Oi. From my friends. The star of the show. Oi. Oi. I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. Gee, this should get you in the mood, John. 
Katsimatidis, as opposed to uh, Diego's song selection yesterday, where you thought we were sitting shiver for somebody. Yeah, let's give him a little activity here, Diego. Well, we got to wake him up first. Exactly. Uh, that wasn't so bad, that one. See that? I mean, uh, it goes back to our cousin Brucey days. That's right, circa 1960s, spinning stacks of wax originally here at WABC. I thought that was beautiful music those days. I mean, you could actually understand what people are saying. Well, you recaptured it because uh, as soon as you bought the station and saved us from the junkyard... Uh, you immediately threw uh, the SOS out to Cousin Brucey, and you told him to come on home. You and Margo said, come on home, cuz. Absolutely. We wanted Cousin Brucey home, and, and this was his home originally. So, uh, uh, And that music is beautiful music. Well, just uh, briefly for our audience, if they haven't listened on the weekend, it's not all talk. It's not all politics. In fact, it's more entertainment than it is politics or current events. And what was the inspiration for that? Well, we talk politics Monday through Friday. And I said enough is enough. Let's uh, Saturday, let's relax a little bit. Um, So Saturday night, Sunday night, we have uh, uh, WABC Music Radio. Uh, We got Cousin Brucey and Tony Orlando and and Cousin Vinny, I call him, uh, Vinny Bandugo, uh, on Saturdays. And uh, uh, it's about uh, relaxing a little bit and Trying to forget about that crappy world out there from from politics. Yeah, people people appreciate that. And then on Sunday, the same thing happens. Uh, Vinny Madunio starts it all at 5 o'clock. By day, he's a teacher at Port Richmond High School, entertains at night. And then you've given him a forum. You've given him a forum on the weekends right before his mentor, Cousin Brucey, on Saturdays. And then he comes on right before Joe Piscopo and Frank Sinatra, the two-hour extravaganza sponsored by Ramsey Mazda. And then you have Dina Martin spinning stacks of wax of her father, Dean Martin. And uh, it it, it makes us WABC be uh, inclusive of a little bit of everything. Yep. 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 So you've broken from that mode. Just so the audience knows, before you bought the station, on the weekends, it was Death Valley. All it would be is one infomercial after another infomercial. Basically, oh, my God. It was so bad. I, it, I, I, I couldn't even listen to it. I had to hang it up. Yeah, basically, you would, uh, you would turn it off on Friday night, early Friday night, and you might turn it back on on Monday morning. But the rest of the time was just all infomercials. And for, for 50,000 watts, clear channel, uh, where we're listened to by half the country. That was terrible. That was terrible. I mean, uh, listening about uh, pulling your teeth and growing hair and uh, uh, how does your uh, uh, thing get larger and, uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it was just infomercial. You're right. Infomercial after infomercial. And weekends, we have 24 hours of uh, people, real live people talking. Yes. Larry Kudlow. Uh, uh, Bo Schnidley, uh, Steve Martin, uh, Steve Martin, more, Steve Moore, right? Yeah, more money. And then uh, on, on, know, the, on the, the Sunday, music at night, and, right? Uh, then, Sundays we got uh, uh, my show. We got uh, uh, we we have the Rabbi uh, and Ar Bernard. Uh, we have uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah, you get Rudy, and then you get uh, Judge Janine Pirro, Dick Morris. And it just keeps... And Cindy Adams. Cindy Adams, and then Joan Hamburg, and then guess who? 
Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. <laughs> and then the music. That's right. So what was it like? So there's that? something to do. There's something to do. You, you're never by yourself. Exactly. With WABC. Uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's either you or Frank Moreno. Yes. I mean, you don't have to be by yourself. There's a lot of lonely people out there. There's a lot of people who can't sleep. You don't have to do that with us. We're always there for you. Well, that's why uh, we've chosen in the Sliwa house, uh, Nancy, my wife, uh, we we can't bring the 18 rescue cats. They stay at home. But the pigeons follow me. And if you notice, every holiday, Nancy and I are on for all those people who are shut-ins, who, who no longer have family members or they can't go anywhere. And, boy, they really appreciate the fact that their their family is really WABC. Well, I like, I like Nancy's... Uh Loving animals. Yes. And I love animals. You love animals. She loves animals. And, you know, the ASPCA, I don't want to say anything bad about them, but I think they should come up with a better game plan than than uh, killing. Not, I don't want to say killing. Uh, what's a better Euthanizing. Word? Euthanizing what? animals after a certain amount of days. I mean, to me... That's not a, a, a animal-loving organization. How can you do that? Yeah, no, no. It becomes like a production line. If there it, should be a plan B. Yes. A plan B of how to get those uh, animals' homes or uh, being able uh, to, you know, hey, maybe we should buy an island. One island, put all the cats on. <laughs> the other island, we'll put all the dogs on. Or, John, think and, of this. And, you know, you know what we're going to call it? Mm-hmm. Dog Island. Dog Island. <laughs> and, or Cat Island. I mean, you know, we've got to come up. I, I'd rather have, there's got to be a plan. And if anybody's smart enough out there to figure out a plan of not euthanizing these animals, not killing these animals, yeah, yeah. And, and allowing them to live. Well, look at all the empty storefronts we have in the city. You know whenever you put a few dogs or a few cats in a storefront window, within a day, people stop by, they look, they have their kids, their grandchildren. There's a problem. They end up adopting. Governor Hochul yes. has banned pet, store, pet stores that carry... Oh, pet mills, pet mills. Yeah. Right. right, no, no, I'm talking about... No, I don't know how that's going to affect the current pet stores. Yeah, well, that that they can't have a puppy mill any longer. They would have puppy mills. But for all those uh, dogs or cats that are turned into shelters, this would be a perfect place. You put them out in the window, people see them. Uh, no, no charges if you're willing to take them home. You know, obviously, you give them the shots, you make sure they're in good medical condition, and you wish them the best. But we need Plan B to the ASPCA. Yes. For, for uh, Well, well let's come cats. up with it this year. And, and by the way, did you ever think this would be perfect, John, now that, uh, thank God, the lockdown and pandemic uh, appear to be over? Hopefully it's over. Opening up a cat cafe. Do you know that cat cafes adopt out more cats than the ASPCA, than the shelters do? Really? Yeah, people come in. They only have a cup of coffee, a little biscuit. The cats roam about. The cats come up. Obviously, they're domesticated. And they end up adopting cats that way. They get to meet cat, the cat. A real cat house. Yeah, a real cat house. Atlantic Avenue, they have this huge cat cafe. It's amazing. People come in. Obviously, other people might be allergic to cats. They don't go in there. But I, I'm, I'm going to bounce this idea off. Uh, we're going to have our year, uh, end of the year uh, sit down. And that would be But can you imagine 
the Cat Cafe, the John Katsimatidis Cat Cafe. You had your initial cat in one of your first stores. How many progeny from that one cat? That one cat, we had we had a store in 265 West 87th Street, store number one, the uh, store number Red Apple store. And uh, we had Meeps, M-E-E-P-S, and I still have a picture of her up in my uh, office. And um, she had like about 150 kittens, and all the customers would adopt their kittens. Wow. And I've seen the same markings on cats in in the Upper West Side, Upper East Side. I think you had one. Yes. It has to be son or grandson or grandson, son, son <laughs> of Meeps. It all started with Meeps. <laughs> yeah, a hundred, again, could you imagine 140, 150 kittens? Now, your first supermarket was Red Apple, and the parent company of ours, the one that you and Margo own, is called Red Apple. Yet your supermarkets are now Gristidis and D'Agostino. What was the origin? Now, those were your first supermarkets, right? Red Apple was the first stores we opened. Uh, we wanted a, stir, a name uh, that was synonymous with uh, um, apple pie and good old American stores. So Red Apple, you know, what the heck? But when you opened those stores, it was in the middle of the Wild West days in New York City. We opened them up on the Upper West Side. We opened up uh, on 82nd and Broadway was the first bigger Red Apple. Uh, the property was owned by uh, Stanley Zabar. Uh, and um, uh, we, we paid the highest rent ever on Broadway. Yeah, and uh, then we did 88th and Broadway, 96th and Broadway. Then uh, 70th in Amsterdam, and and uh, then 100th in Broadway, and and up and down Broadway. I remember you told the story at one of the gatherings uh, that you had. A lot of your Brooklyn Tech uh, fellow alumni came, and you talked about how this guy gave you on consignment milk. You know, your first opportunity to get into business because you couldn't afford the milk to fill the refrigerated uh, high grade milk. Right, Billy Myers. Uh, he, uh, uh, the first big store we built was a couple hundred thousand dollars. And to get the consignment for the milk business, he advanced us $50,000, which was a lot of money at that time. Oh, yeah. And we built the store, and the store was very successful, and uh, we did well. Did you ever? I was 22 years old. 22 years old. You had passed up an assignment to uh, West Point in order to get into business, in order to help your family. No, not to help my father. Hmm. My, my father uh, yelled. My mother cried. I was an only child. They said, you're going to leave us alone? <laughs> Just don't forget, you go to West Point, you have a five-year commitment, hmm. and uh, you're not going to see your parents every day. And I, I was the only child. And, and you were and living in Harlem at the time. I was 135th Street. Wow, right near the campus of City University. Right there, right down from, down the block from Lewiston Stadium. So nobody can ever question the fact that you don't know what it's like, uh, how the average everyday people live now that you're a billionaire. Uh, you came from a humble background. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's it's good memories. But I never forget where I came from. I, I love and respect the people, my friends from those days. Uh, and uh, it's just... You, you, if people that forget where they came from are not real people. Now, yeah, a lot of people that were in the supermarket business who then cashed out and said, oh, you can't make it in the supermarket business. 
They either went on to other things or they They were smarter than me. (laughs) What was, I mean, there had to be really tough days. What was it that made you to continue, and not only continue, but also grow the business? I had nothing else to do. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I I believe in success. I I, I do everything to an extreme. Uh, it's it's like you. I mean, you work more hours than anybody else. I work more hours than anybody else. We both do, we both have that uh, disease. What was the toughest thing getting involved in that in business, opening up those first supermarkets? The toughest thing. Wow, that's a uh, uh, first of all. Uh, Nobody expects me to to succeed. Mm. Uh, everybody was going or going around saying, "Oh, he's going to go out of business. He's going to go out of business." And um, we worked harder. We were, you know, why we opened up on Sundays when we gave out checks on Friday. Mm. They're going to clear by Monday. Mm. I needed the extra day of business. <laughs> That's so the, a true story. So the checks would not bounce. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we say, well, okay, Saturday's a good day, but let's work Sunday too. And uh, in, in those days, um, you weren't allowed to open Sundays. Mm. But uh, the police officers came around uh, and they gave you a ticket. The ticket was only $2. You know what that ticket would be today? Oh, my God. (laughs) You'd have to take a reverse mortgage. You know what you say? Pay the $2. Yes. That's where the expression came from. (laughs) Pay the $2. (laughs) And uh, people loved it that we opened. We, uh, uh, you know, the banks were closed. Everybody was closed. We, uh, you know, the the joke I used to tell, because there was a big city bank on 86th and Broadway. Uh, We cashed more checks in Citibank. Uh, we, you know, and people say, weren't you scared to, you're going to lose money? The truth is, I got a good statistic for sure. you. Uh, let's say um, at the end of three months, we end up losing uncollectible. Even if I said Bruno to go collect it, you yeah, know, because yeah. uh, uh, we had some tough security cards. Uh, maybe we'll lose a few thousand dollars. Like you said, it's a cost of doing business. But let me tell you what it is now. Because we use credit cards. Yes. Credit cards, I think, at Gristini's alone, uh, we, uh, oh, my God, I can't remember the numbers. Uh, I think the credit card fee that you pay the company uh, is like a million dollars every three months. Wow. So what would you rather do, cash the checks and lose a few thousand dollars or pay the, the bank a million-dollar fee to take the credit cards? Remember the uh, outfit called? The... Uh, think about those numbers. Yep. That is scary numbers, yeah. isn't it? Think about that. Remember the uh, operation, don't cook tonight, order chicken delight. Uh, basically, you had all the delivery guys. They would put checks up on the wall that had bounced. And we're only talking checks, $2.50, $3.00. And the incentive was whoever owned that franchise that if you could collect on that, you would get a third of that check. So the incentive was you'd go knocking on doors even in the projects. My friend Steve Boxer is listening. You know Steve. He used to run White Rose Foods. Sure. And he says, there is an island in the Bahamas called Cat Island. (laughs) So we gather up all the unwanted cats. We ship them off to Cat Island. And then maybe we have Nancy out there to take care of all those cats uh, 
Although, uh, boy, then I'd never see you uh, at this rate. But it's good for the cats. Uh, in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to convince you, John, uh, sometime this year, maybe to open up the first John Catsimatidis Cat Cafe. We gotta come up with a game plan. Yes. No, but you know, listen, with a cat cafe, we could save ten cats. No, I'm talking about saving. How many cats? He, oh. Let's do the research. Have yeah. your wife do the research. How many c- cats and dogs are euthanized by the SPCA? Absolutely. There's got to be the information has to be there. No doubt. And let me tell you something. You know, ASPCA, I don't want to give them money to kill cats and right. kill dogs. Right. Well, remember, when you ran for mayor, you were the first one ever in the United States to have a no-kill shelter platform. I took that from you when I ran for mayor. Eventually, that has to be the rule that we don't kill any cat or any dog or any animal out there unless they're in such dire shape that we have no choice. Anyway, it's John Katz and Matitis, yours truly, Curtis Lee, was substituting for Sid Rosenberg. He'll be back on Monday. And, oh, boy, George Santos, you st- I don't know what you started, John, with your exclusive interview uh, with him, but now he's uh, suffering blabbervosia verbosa. If you have a microphone, he's ready to do an interview with all of you right here exclusively on WABC. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Wait a second. I can barely see the sun beginning to emerge on Katsimatidis. So this song is very well. Does, does that mean we're only in, in uh, five, six, seven states now? Yeah. No, no, when no. the sun comes before the sun comes up, at, at darkness, 38 states, 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, right on down to Davy Jones's locker between the Bahamas and Bermuda. Bermuda is where Cousin Brucey got his first radio gig. Not in, not in New York or anywhere in the country. Bermuda. And then he blew up when he came back to New York. And you know where he got his uh, initial training? We had a, uh, a radio station at Brooklyn Tech High School. Yeah. So he, he was—he didn't go to Brooklyn Tech for his regular no, he went subjects. To Madison, but he went to Brooklyn Tech for uh, radio training, and then NYU, where he started the first college radio station. There, nobody would hire him. He sent out his resumes all throughout the country. Nah, nah. The only one who said, "We'll take you." In but Bermuda. he's got such a following. Yes, you know, I'm listening to him on on Saturday night, relaxing, beautiful music, and he's got people calling in from Oregon. California, yeah. Australia, yeah. Uh, I mean, all over the world. And remember how he starts his program. No politics, no politics, no politics. Just sit back, enjoy the music. Uh, it's entertainment, entertainment, entertainment. Uh, we have on the line, I believe, uh, oh, it's not there yet. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we're momentarily going to have the uh, Swifty Lazar of our lifetime, Empresario Todd Shapiro, who apparently has decided to... Well, you're one of the most successful businessmen around, but I'm sure you've had to take gambles from time to time, John, where the over-under point spread was not in your favor. 
Todd Shapiro has decided to open up this huge restaurant emporium up in Albany. Cigar bar, everything. But you know, Albany is a small city. We think Albany is this huge city. It's not that big a city, but on the line right now is the man himself. The new king of Albany. Ha, Todd Shapiro. Um, well, you're right, Curtis. They call it Smallany instead of Albany. Because, well, you know, everything everything is small. How cold is it in Albany? Um, it's not, it's not Miami. I mean, I, I think I'm the only Jew that went north instead of south. <laughs> so now explain to us this brand new grand opening you've had of something that would probably be more synonymous with what transpired back in the 40s or 50s or 60s when everybody wanted to be in Albany. See, you know what, Curtis, what I found, I went, I went to Albany during COVID. And there was a little tiny Irish Irish um, pub that was a, a famous gin mill amongst cops and firefighters. And anybody would come up would always go to this place called the Public House. It was right across from the Renaissance and across from the convention center. And, you know, it was like a little dingy, prohibition-type speakeasy kind of place. You walked in there and, you know, maybe like everybody knew your name, but it, it was really cool. And it was closed for like two years. And there was... It was not a better location. Albany's the every time I go through Albany, I get chills. I really do. It's you know, it's like you see these beautiful, you know, I mean, what Nelson Rockefeller did and the architecture and the structures and these beautiful buildings that go back. You know, it just you couldn't if you spent it today, New York would go bankrupt. It's just incredible the kind of architecture and buildings that's here. And I mean, literally, I mean, hundreds of about hundreds of thousands of people used to work in the city. It's the capital of the, of the state. and But this one, um, 500 feet away, I saw this little pub, and it was in these two 1890s um, buildings that, you know, they're brownstones. Imagine buying a brownstone in Manhattan. You know, I'd, I'd have to be John Kazmatidis to buy it. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't afford one today. But, it, you know, it, but it, um, it, was just, it was just something I, I really, I, I fell in love with these two buildings. And my wife says, are you nuts? Why the hell do you want to go to Albany? But we were right. Albany was the epicenter of politics. People live shit, everything politics. Wherever you go, to, everything's politics here. There's lobbyists, there's Republicans, there's Democrats, there's socialists. There's, there's everything. So I said, you know what? What if you brought back the old days? Like you just said, bring back something where people could go make something fun. I mean, fun where, you know, you're... Like what, what what John did with ABC by bringing back the old the old the old the old time things that people remember and people love that puts a smile on people's faces. And you know, well, tell us that, what you're doing. We got two minutes left. We got to take a break right, at seven thirty-five. So, so what I did was I I put pictures up. I put old things up. I have a 1939 election machine. You could vote Republican, Democrat, Communist. I put up Teddy Roosevelt was the governor as we know, and Franklin Roosevelt. I put Teddy Roosevelt. Bull Moose, the original Bull Moose that Teddy Roosevelt, you know, he didn't shoot this one, but they had the Bull Moose Party, which was, you know, the party of the president that went against the Republicans and Democrats back. So I have a, a, live, a live Bull Moose there. Um, I, I made a, a nightclub out of it, and I put a cigar bar next to it because everyone loves Separate building, the cigar bar. Se- separate buildings. It's just cigars. And, you know, I took three floors. You know, most places you go to a cigar place, it's like going to a vape room. You're buying cheap lighters. 
I made this into like, you know, like a Grand Havana room type of place where you could smoke cigars in a beautiful lounge and it don't look like a Cohiba wrapper. It's midnight blue. It's beautiful. It's chic. It's fun. I'm trying to make Albany fun. And, you know, I know, I know Curtis likes to hang out at Zero Bond. It, and it's, not, it's not like that atmosphere, <laughs> Curtis. But I will tell you is this. Is it Curtis that hangs out at Zero Bond, or is it the <laughs> mayor that hangs out at Zero Bond? There. They threw me out of there, John. But question, <laughs> years ago, it was the great post columnist, Fred Dicker. He would track the elected officials down along Lark Street, all those uh, dingy uh, gin mills that you described. And there's no more Fred Dicker. He's retired so this is a place literally where people can come, max and relax, uh, meet people, greet people, have a good drink, have a good meal, have a good cigar. It's sort of like uh, nobody thought this would be possible. So people happen to be up in the Capital Land area. What's the name of the place and what is the location? Okay, it's called the War Room. It's um, the War Room Tavern, modern. You know, because people in politics go to war. Curtis goes to war every day. Um, but it's, it's the War Room Tavern on 40 Eagle Street, right across from the Renaissance, across from the Capitol Center, which is a And it's an old-fashioned it's an old fashioned uh, smoke room uh, for the cigar place. On the other side, it's, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt and all kinds of political uh, pictures on the walls. Uh, every, pictures in the walls. And, and what got, kind of I food? Got, I got food. We got 30 Bella seconds. Food. What kind of food? You got sushi from the, the guy who was like the best chef since Nobu. Um, amazing sushi, steaks, large porterhouse steaks, steaks, cigars, sushi, and wow. a good time. Wow. Well, you'll tell us the when's the grand opening. It's John Kazmatidis and Curtis. And more important than that, we have the Red Beret War by Curtis Lewa when he gave it to uh, Como when Curtis was 12 years old. What, when's, when's the grand opening? Grand opening is going to be New Year's Eve, but July, January 3rd will be an open to the public. Well, thank you. Come have free sushi and have fun. Thank you. You never know. I might be there. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, we're taking a break. We're coming up. Ernie Nastas coming up at 740. Sid Rosenberg at 805. Lydia at 825. Peter King at 840. And uh, a lot more between 9 and 10. Boy, this is sit in friends in the morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends. 77 WABC. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. I didn't know Joe Piscopo was in the house. Uh, John well, Joe's favorite song. It's one of my favorite songs. Oh, yeah, that's a, a fixture every Sunday from 6 to 8 on the two-hour Frank Sinatra extravaganza hosted by Ramsey Mazda. But now we have a guest who's right out of central casting. You know, Donald Trump. If, if, he, walked, if he walked down the street, across the street, I would say 90%, 95% of the people would recognize him. Yeah, and he's, uh, I mean, we had, last week you had Mike Pence in. Well, remember, the reason Trump chose him for vice president, he said, oh, he's right out of central casting. Side by side, Ernie Anastas, he's right out of central casting. <laughs> oh he's everything God. you want a news anchor to be and look like, right? <laughs> Name recognition. You guys are too he much. looks great. I mean, he still looks 39 years old. Yeah. 
You got to share your secrets. Uh, oh my goodness! I, I fly me to the moon. I, I love sing. that song. I love you guys. You could sing too. My God, it's it's that Mediterranean diet. It is a lot of olive oil. I thought maybe well, it was. You know what? Speaking of that, I mean, you know, John and I have Greek heritage, of course. Curtis, you know that. And I've known John over 40 years in New York, came to the city in 1978. And, you know, by the way, before I forget, WABC are my favorite call letters because my first station was WABC Eyewitness News Channel 7. And to this day, people will see me on the street and say, Ernie, Eyewitness News, WABC. So it's amazing to be back with you guys on these terrific call letters. And, John... You've done an amazing job with this radio station. Amazing. And, Curtis, uh, the stories that you're sharing this morning are classic. Well, can I, mean, I, uh, can I offer you up just to show you the youthful vigor that Ernie Anastas has, John? You could, you could segue into this. On January 6th, they used to ring together all the Greek Orthodox uh, men. They would throw mm-hmm. the gold cross into the Hudson River right where yes. the new church has been built to replace the old church that was destroyed uh, in the attack of 9-11. You right. think you're up for it, Ernie, putting those skivvies on and then diving into the <laughs> Hudson River to, re- to, to, to return that gold yeah. cross? If, if you two will join me, how's that? Okay, we'll do it together as a threesome, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> Let's go out there As and long do it. as we, have a, we, we sing a song at the end. Yeah. Okay, you want to pick the song? Is it Fly Me to the Fly Moon? Fly Me to the Moon. Why not? <laughs> How about you know, this? Is when, when, this is when I was when we were in Havana uh, yeah. with Bill Fugazi and, and Charlie Rangel and David sure. Dinkins, and and um, he, we were in which uh, saloon? We were in the Hemingway Hotel in the Hemingway yeah. Bar. And John, I was there with you. You're right. I was in Havana, right. Cuba with you that yes, time. Yes, you're I was right. There. My God. Were yeah, you there I when, that. when we decided to sing? Uh, uh, they wanted to sing God Bless America. I said, guys, yeah. we're in Havana. How about just New York, New York? Mm-hmm. And we, we, took the, we, we sang New York, New York at the Hemingway Bar uh, yep. in the middle of Havana. I and, remember it. And 500 Cubans s- surrounded the bar. They loved it. Yeah. It, it was a moment. It really was, and that was a terrific trip. Uh, they, they were they were really celebrating the, the new church, the new Greek Orthodox Church, the first one uh, in Havana, Cuba, and that was a terrific. And Curtis was for, there. Yeah, I was Curtis there. Was there. Yeah, 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 we I were was, all having a great. time. I was there really? ad- advocating death to Fidel Castro. People were saying "loco americano," "loco mm. americano." Yeah, that was amazing. And I went back and did a five-part series on television about that. But do you guys realize how many stories we could swap right now? I mean, since 1978, I mean, John, the history that you have, all the different projects you've been involved with. Curtis, I mean, I remember, you know, 1979 that you renamed the Guardian Angels. Originally, it was the Magnificent 13. And the stories that you did, the stories that I've covered, my God, there's a list of things that we could talk about. Well, well, let me me mention, uh, when we were both at the uh, auction, the annual auction, Doodles for Hunger, for St. Francis, as Joe Sano, Father Francis, uh, I would get up, John, and I would offer, you know, lunch with Curtis. I'll tell you these stories. And then Ernie would get up and say, I got you better, Curtis. I got these stories to tell you. We were up there for about a half hour swapping stories, and the bids just kept going up and up and up for a great charity. Uh, the oh, St. Francis uh, Food uh, Pantry there that's run by Father Francis and Joe Sano. 
great organization, and John has done so much work. Uh, so much well, we all, we you know, all. Turkeys, giving turkeys away during Thanksgiving to thousands and thousands of people in New York. You know, that's the great thing about being part of this great city. I've always said New York is the whole world in one city. It's all here, and the people are what make this city great. And you know what the people represent? Stories, guys. Story. There's a story everywhere. They used to have a TV show, remember? Eight million people, eight million stories. That's what New York is about. We but, love it. But now, uh, Ernie, you broke ranks with your uh, fraternity and sorority of newscasters. You know, the concept was if it uh, bleeds, it leads. And you did a solid hour of positive news, which was unheard of. Yeah. Where did the well, idea come from and how was it embraced? Well, I think, I think it goes back, and, and John will, will recognize that it goes back to our, our family. I was always brought up in an environment of positivity. My grandfather, uh, Reverend Anastasios, was one of the first 100 ordained Greek Orthodox priests in America. He was a pioneer. And, and he left me with a lot of good feelings, and my parents as well. So I always had this attitude of look for the positive side. Yes, there are negative things happening in life. Of course we have serious issues. But at the same time, look for the solution. So I always got involved in that, finding a problem and then saying, how can we make it better? How can we make it better? So I got involved in, in creating that. And, you know, when you think about certain defining moments in life that have the power to shift our core sense of being, and the pandemic has been one of them. Uh, people found themselves, you know, thinking about the deepest questions in life. What is the meaning of life? Where do I go? What do I do? And I think as a result of that, in, in fact, it's reinforced my feelings for positive news. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, good stories like, you know, finding the cat in the tree, which is fine. But I'm talking about dealing with a serious problem. How about misinformation? What's the problem with misinformation? How can we solve it? What can we do to, to find the truth in, in content? Other questions, whether it's aging or whether it's technology. Is technology affecting your life? Is it controlling you? How do you take charge? I look for the story that says, here's the problem, but here's the solution. And you know what, guys? People respond to that because they're looking for it. We have to have the news of the day. My God, I, I would defend that to the end. The news of the day is important. But there's another piece to that and saying, okay, if there is a problem, tell me how we can make it better. And that's my job. That's my mission in life, and I'm enjoying it. I'm really having a great time. We've got it. a problem for you to solve. Go ahead. Me and Curtis were talking about ASPCA. and AA. Yes. You know, they did a lot of great work for the years. But I don't believe in euthanizing the dogs and cats. I feel right. I feel bad. I said we sure. have to come up with a new ASPCA and come up with Plan B. What do we do? Mm. Uh, you know what? I, I have an answer for you. Someone who can really help us. Her name is Kathy Kangas, K-A-N-G-A-S, lives in Connecticut. She is renowned. She's on the board of the ASPCA. She is tremendous, and she does so much. She takes on uh, the, the charge of um, uh, taking on the fees for adoption for animals all over the world, not just the United States. She's an amazing person. We should get a hold of Kathy. You would love her. She's well, an amazing person. Well, let's get person. a hold of her. Let's put her on the radio. and. Yeah. Uh, uh, me and Curtis are here tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, uh, today, uh, tomorrow too. Yes. So if she wants to come on, she's welcome to come on. I'm going to give her a call. I, I think you're doing a great thing because everybody's concerned about animals. I, I love pets as well. You guys are doing great this morning. I'm so happy to be part of your program, and I've been listening, you know, on the app. You, so this is the best part. You can listen to radio anywhere you are, anywhere in the world. In the whole world. And I think it's terrific. The whole world. Uh, at one point, uh, my maid who retired went back to the Philippines. She says, we're not getting it in the Philippines. 
Well, I made it happen. It's it's available in the Philippines, Brazil, yeah, yeah, yeah. all over the place. Oh my God! Well, listen, I, I can stay here for as long as you like because I have stories to share. But I know you've well, got a program. Well, give us one more story. You tell me. Give us one more story. Well, you know, there are so many stories. I mean, when you talk about covering the news, I remember 1979, uh, New York was shocked by the sudden death of former New York governor and presidential candidate uh, Nelson Rockefeller. I was the only reporter present that night. I I got off the 11 o'clock news, and the desk said, hey, something's happened to Nelson Rockefeller. We need a reporter. I said, I'll go. So I went right over there to um, Lenox Hill Hospital, and he had had a heart attack. And we didn't know that at the time. But I saw him coming through on a stretcher, and I said, my goodness, this is, this is Nelson Rockefeller. I had my microphone, went on the air, and I was the first one to have that story. I mean, it was a shock to see it, but, I mean, that was one of the classics. Can I, can I go back to the 80s? You mentioned Cousin Brucie. Uh, it, when John Lennon was shot, uh, I was there at the apartment that night uh, just before I went on the air. Then I went on the air like an hour later reporting his death. And when we had the vigil in Central Park, which was amazing, Cousin Brucey and I, I invited and him with me, and you, he and I did the, the, the narration of that whole vigil uh, in 1980. In you Central were in Park. my home uh, when we had Yoko Ono there yes. uh, for the celebration of uh, 50-year celebration of Hiroshima, mm. and uh, you were there with Michael Douglas. Yes, I remember that. That's a good story, Johnny. <laughs> you going to tell it? <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully you didn't have Yoko Ono sing at that He got event. into a little argument with Michael Douglas in the elevator. Oh, you did? Well, you know what it was? It really wasn't an argument. What happened was that Michael Douglas was going up to John's party, and I was going up as well. And I had my microphone with me, and I was just going to ask him a positive question, believe it or not, about good news. And he thought I was going to ask him a question about his son, who unfortunately was having some difficulty at the time. And so he saw the the, the Fox label on my microphone, and he looked at me and he said, this is not the time and place to do this. And he went up on the elevator. So it was a misunderstanding. He didn't realize I was going to ask him something good. That's your spin. My spin is he looked at you, Ernie, and he said, this guy is better looking than me, man. I'm the movie star. How the hell could this guy be better looking than me? Which is true. You are too much. You are too much. You are too much. Oh, my God. Well, this is great stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it so much. You're bringing back a lot of good memories, too. Remember my, my days with Bill Butel and Roger Grinsby and all those guys and Roseanne Scamadella, Roseanne, oh, yeah. Roseanne Adana at, at Channel 7. We had some great time. I stay in touch with Rosanna. She's a wonderful person. And I remember going to church when they, they, in Havana. Yes. And Margo, it was going to be a four-hour ceremony. Uh, Margo right. refused to go. Mm-hmm. I said, Curtis, come with me. And me and Curtis went to the uh, the, the consecration of the church. Is that right, what it right. is? The christening of the church. Yeah. Right? Yes. yes. And, and after two hours, I said to Curtis, I think we've had enough. We're out of here. I mean, they had every uh, – the Russian Orthodox were trying to recruit me. You had Romanian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, naturally Greek Orthodox, and they all had sure. to scrub the altar down and say prayers in their language. And John and I decided we're out of here. We're out of here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the end of it. But it was it a was beautiful people. ceremony. Oh, it was. And, you know, speaking of that, you're, you're jarring my memory. Uh, in, in 82, 1982, I traveled to Central America with then New York Archbishop John Cardinal O'Connor. What a wonderful wow. guy he was. Yeah. We went to Nicaragua. We went to El Salvador. Uh, Al, he brought, you know, love to his church and to the people of that 
war-torn part of the world. And it was wonderful. We visited orphanages, churches. Uh, it was a terrific trip. And I'll never remember the Cardinal. He was just such a, you know, he was a, a Navy guy. And, you know, he had, he had a certain side to him that was really interesting. He had a take-charge kind of guy, but he was interested in the people. He always cared about the men that had, you know, some, uh, some influence over, over what was going on. And I remember him distinctly. And I think you guys remember the Cardinal as well. Uh, he looked at me and he said, Ernie, you have a responsibility, and make sure you live up to it. It's honorable. Tell the truth. Have the integrity of what you do in your profession. He said, that is the biggest challenge that you have, but it's also the greatest gift. And I'll never forget that. That was a special note that I remember on a plane flying to El Salvador with the Cardinal O'Connor at the time. And, nice story. And I nice was story. working at that same time. You talk about yeah. El Salvador. I was working with the uh, uh, with Capital Airlines, uh, I owned the Capital Airlines, mm-hmm. and we were flying to Tegucigalpa, <laughs> San Pedro Sulu, and El, El Salvador. But I can't tell you what I was doing. Come on, we, tell we us doing. what your payload I can't, was. <laughs> I can't tell you what I was doing. But Ernie Anastas, thank you for calling in. Thank you thank so you, much. And, and, and let's try to save some cats and save some dogs. Yes, yes. I'll get a hold of Kathy Kangas right now. Look forward. Thanks, guys. Let's take a break, and we'll be back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. What'd you say? He's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Blast from the past, Sean. Little mamas and papas here, Cali, Cali, California. Although just as many people are fleeing California, going to Florida, as people are fleeing New York, New Jersey, and running off to DeSantis land, Freedom Land, Florida. But, you know... uh, That's truly Freedom Land, especially what we talked about yesterday, where people have the right to protect their homes, protect their businesses, you know... And and the crooks go to jail instead of the police officers going to jail to fill up paperwork. Well, the only person who obviously, as a homing pigeon, didn't fly south like everybody from New York and New Jersey or even from California. He's on the beach in New York. That's right. He came from Florida back to New York. It's our own Sid Rosenberg. You should have listened to me, Sid, last Friday. You should have listened to your son. Your area was flooded, wasn't it? You know, it's a good thing I didn't listen to you, actually, Curtis. By the way, good morning, John and Curtis, and want to wish both of you guys and all of our Sid and Friends listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year coming up. But it's a good thing I didn't listen to you because we had a couple of pipes freeze and burst in my house. Wow. And for the last two days, my house has been basically underwater. So if I was on the beach right now in Fort Lauderdale or Boca, 
my house would be ruined. So it's a good thing I didn't listen to you, Curtis, but, and I stayed home because I'm here to fix it. Let me let me remind you, Sid. First off, uh, as a proud uh, Zionist and Jewish man, you're not fixing any pipes. You're hiring Goy to do that, <laughs> Gentile. And number two, I and your son told you on the way home, Get the pump for the water that's going to be in the basement. Get the generator because the electricity might go out because of the storm. And get the buzzsaw in case any trees came down. Uh, need I remind you? And you looked at me. And, ah, you told your son, don't worry about it. No, it's true. I even said we went through this living in Florida with hurricanes so often. I mean, just about every weekend, John and, uh, and Curtis, he went to Publix to buy stuff, to board up the house and buy water. And I think we were there for two major hurricanes in about 20 years. But, uh, look, electricity is not an issue. But on about uh, Friday night, my house is very, very warm, guys, very warm. And I couldn't get any of my bedrooms over 50 degrees on Friday night. It was a nightmare. Wow. And the gate, yeah, and the gate went to take a shower at about 10 p.m. Friday night, and the water wasn't running. So we figured we had a frozen pipe. We were just praying the pipe wouldn't burst. And then on uh, Saturday morning, you're like this, Curtis. We were invited to go over to the Carone's house. You know, Frank Carone, the chief of staff for the mayor, his brother Anthony lives about five blocks away from me. So Anthony and Frank Carone and all these guys invited me and Danielle for a drink, celebrate Christmas. So we're getting ready, and uh, we're taking showers. And next thing you know, guys, every floor of my house, all four floors, the water is coming down like Niagara Falls, and we can't stop it. And we both started to cry and freak out. Like, we've been living here for six months. We we spent some money. We've got a gorgeous house. And now it's completely underwater. Thank God my neighbor is a firefighter, Billy Felton. He was able to shut the water valve off. But it turns out we had not one but two pipes that froze and burst behind my wall. And to Curtis's point, Lenny Chiazza, who happens to be Italian, came over on Christmas Day, sent over two of his guys the very next day to fix it. But right now it's a mess. We've got wow. water stains. You've got wet carpets. So my vacation has basically been cleaning up my house after these freezing temperatures and a Sid, bunch of busted pipes. Some of those homes were built originally just for summer occupancy. You know, I have a beach house out in in the Quag, and uh, uh, we had to put in extra uh, insulation in between the walls because we wanted to make it a year-round house. No, you're 100% right, John. They're old homes. They were built just for the summer. In fact, to your point, John, the people we bought the house from, they're Orthodox Jews. They only used this house during the summer. They were never here during the winter for Yeah, and the water years. was shut off. Correct. So this is the first time in eight years the water was on during the winter. And uh, sure enough, we've got all these issues. So, I mean, the good news is everybody's healthy. Nobody died. The house isn't completely ruined. It's not like Hurricane Sandy, which we folks went through, but... It has not been a very relaxing couple of days. <laughs> You've got to come up with plan B, and uh, you got to winterize the house, uh, insulate it, and winterize it. And and, and they, they have things that they put around the pipes uh, that uh, keep them warm. Yeah, that's what we're doing over the next two days. We've got the insurance guy coming today. We've got electricians coming. We've got water remediators coming. We've got like 19 different people coming to the house. All I want to do, John and Curtis, is watch some college football, get ready for the new year, relax. But uh, to your point, John, we've got three or four different guys coming today, and that's going to be the plan to insulate the house, make sure the rest of these pipes are okay because we do not want to go through this again. But I will tell you guys that uh, it turns out a lot of people in my area went through the same thing, even homes that have been updated. The weather was so bad on Friday and Saturday. 
just something people can do. And if you've been here for more than 20 or 30 years, in my case, this house is 80 years old, then you're going to have these types of issues. So, you know, not thank God the weather's warming up today. We're going to be close to 60 by the weekend. But Saturday and Sunday and Monday were absolutely brutal, especially here off the water. And it was tough on a lot of people, and we, we suffered uh, a brutal couple of days. But, uh, hey, you know what? We celebrated Christmas. New Year's is coming up. And for the most part, we're pretty happy. And you got to see your daughter. Right. Ava's home, John, which is great. In fact, Ava and I are going out tonight for Chinese food, just the two of us together, have a nice daddy-daughter conversation. And she's been great. And, you know, Gabriel's been fun. And Danielle's been pretty good about this whole thing. So it hasn't ruined the vacation, but it isn't fun, as you could imagine, John and Curtis. So, you see, you didn't go for Chinese food on Christmas Eve when you could have picked out any table in the restaurant? Well, here's where you got that wrong. It's not Christmas Eve. Jews go for Chinese food on Christmas Day, the actual day. <laughs> and every but, Sunday but, night. But, <laughs> and every Sunday night. That's right, John. <laughs> but we didn't do it that day. We didn't do it that day. So tonight, China New Star on Flappish Avenue is going to get uh, Sydney and Avon. It's going to be a blast. And we got a lot, uh, a lot of plans the next couple of days going into the city, catching a show one day. And we're going to spend the next four or five days together as much as we can before it's time to go back to work. Well... That's some great story, but uh, I wish we didn't have the problem. But uh, uh, So uh, what are you doing for New Year's Eve? You know, John, we don't know yet. We, um, you know, because Ava's here, and, you know, ordinarily Danielle and I would find some restaurant to party in the city, and, you know, maybe I would text the mayor if Curtis wants to come. But, <laughs> but we don't know yet. But, you know, uh, right now I- I'm in the house. I got work to do. You know, I'm a big sports fan, obviously, so we've got college football, all these great games coming up. Of course, Saturday, you have the two monster games between Michigan and TCU and Georgia and Ohio State leading up to the championship game. Sunday, you have week 17 of the NFL. Guys, we're down to the last two weeks of the NFL season. And Monday is actually the Rose Bowl in all those country games because this year the holiday comes out on a Monday, even though Sunday is New Year's Day. So if you're a big sports fan like me, You've got an unbelievable weekend coming up, starting with today even. There's four or five college football games. So we're going to stay home, uh, cook a lot of food here, have a lot of guys come and work on the house, watch a lot of football, and reflect back on what was a really really a pretty good year. I mean, obviously, John and Curtis and losing Bernard this year was tragic, and that was the, the one thing we'll remember most about 2022 was the death of my partner, Bernard McGurk. But there were so many blessings this year, too, so many great things, and so many of those are at our radio station, John, at WABC, because of you and Margo. So good time to reflect and um, just be happy we're all together and may not uh, need a big plan or a big party on New Year's Eve. Just be together and get ready to go back to work on Tuesday, January 3rd. I can't wait to come back already. Well, Happy New Year and uh, good to talk to you and uh, your audience misses you and God bless. God bless you too, John. I love you to pieces, you and Margo and the whole family and you too, Curtis. Thank you guys for filling in and doing a fantastic job. Enjoy the rest of the week. Have a happy new year. We'll talk again on Tuesday. I love you all. Thank you so much. Look forward. Take care. Take care. Well, By the way, John, I and his son, right? His yeah. son was in all day on Friday. Yeah. I'm in every Friday at 7.05. No, but you see, he, 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 he didn't realize he didn't have a home that wasn't winterized. No, I know that, but remember, we told him, so on your way home, stop at Home Depot, uh, Woodhaven Boulevard, Cross Bay, on your way to Rockridge, get yourself a pump, get yourself a generator, and get yourself a buzzsaw. And he's, nah, nah. And his own son said, Dad, we're only two blocks from the ocean. He was right. He was right. His son was right. And by the way, Joe Sano is uh, uh, 
is listening in Orlando, Florida. Orlando, Florida. Oh, boy. Uh, he, na- went, he went to Florida, too. Yeah, but notice uh, what happened with Disney this year. Who won? DeSantis won. And Disney, Disney lost. lost. The stock is down to $86. And they brought back for, I believe, a third time, right? What, what do you say? Go woke, go broke. Yes. <laughs> go woke, go broke. Okay? I mean, all of you out there, I mean, that's such crap, you know? I mean, no, it's no, crazy. No. We didn't realize that Disney World had a sweetheart deal that was similar to what the Vatican has because the Vatican is an independent, autonomous country right in it, uh, Italy. We had no idea until DeSantis became governor that Disney World basically would call its own shots. It was its own government, its own entity. It, it acted independently and autonomously. He said, no, 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 no. You're in the state of Florida here. You're going to abide by our rules and regulations. So what happened? The CEO of Disney decided he was going to have a, a high noon moment with DeSantis. And guess who blinked first? Uh, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. And now who's back? Iger. They Iger. Bob Iger, Iger is back. back. And, and, and Zenia Mukha is back in New York. Yeah. she back. I don't think she's going with Iger. I think she's uh, remaining on her own. But I got to tell you this. I think Disney learned a lesson. St- they, they didn't abide by Cousin Brucey's mantra. No politics. No politics. No Especially politics. for Disney World. People don't want politics oh. in Disney World. No, I mean. We you, just want to have a good time. I know. But you have people of all different backgrounds, all different faiths. You got tree huggers. You got uh, ultra-Orthodox. You have red people. You have blue people. Boy, they made I remember it. when Khrushchev wanted to go there and he didn't, they wouldn't let him. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That was the uh, Disneyland, the old yes. Disneyland. Yeah. And remember he said to them. You know, I could bomb San Francisco right now. You want me to bomb San Francisco right now? They all had a heart attack, which was at that point. Remember the Cold War? Yes. And it was Nixon who had his uh, kitchen cabinet meetings with Khrushchev. Remember on TV, Khrushchev actually was a great stand-up comedian, (laughs) especially when he had that vodka. When he took took the shoe off. Oh, yeah, the General Summer. We will bury you. We will bury you. Then remember Duck and Cover. John, you were in class. I was in class. Duck and cover Yeah, up. like that was going to help. Go underneath <laughs> your desk. What happened to all those fallout shelters? Once in a while, you see the, you see the sign, fallout shelter. Shelter. It's become shelter for clutter. Yeah. Uh, there are really no operational shelters now in New York City. God forbid if there ever were a nuclear attack. And we have, we'd have double trouble. And, you know, Putin, he keeps threatening there. She says, hey, nuclear war, nuclear war, nuclear war. Uh, but up next, we uh, get to speak to uh, Lydia, Lydia. Serrano, your partner at night in the and 5 o'clock. And she's doing uh, the Brian Kilmeade show today between 10 and 12. Oh, good. So tune in because Brian is on vacation and they had somebody that you could fall asleep on. Oh, uh, between, uh, you know, so we put in uh, one of our WABC hosts. Oh, and while I have you here, boss. This guy, Mike Slater, substituting for Bill O'Reilly, 12 to 12.15. Please, can we send him back to his podcast? Did he put you to sleep? Uh, my God, he's not worthy of him. This is the number one news talk station in the nation. We got to make sure when there's substitutes on weekends uh, or when there's substitutes during the holidays that uh, they're up to par. Otherwise, we right, should, a lot of our hosts. WABC should do it itself. Right, think when they uh, go away for whatever reason that it's Ted Mack's original amateur hour. No, 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 no. When you're number one, John and Margot brought us back to number one. The hardest part of it, John, is not getting to be number one. 
It's staying number one, and you don't do that with the JV, and you don't do that with amateur hour here at WABC. And when uh, Mark Levin was on vacation for a few days, my God, whoever was on, the lowest ratings I've ever seen. Got to tell you, John, we the beginning of the year, you got to tell all these stars, you know, because everybody, they're all stars. I don't know what it is. They think that when they go away, Put somebody in there in which people would say, I can't wait for Mark to come back. Well, you know what Mark Simone used to tell me? Yes. That he, when he's on vacation, he puts people on that gives them good job security. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, and it's bad for talk radio. And it doesn't live up to the standards that you've reestablished here at WABC. That's why, if you notice, I don't take vacations. And let me warn everybody else out there. It was historic. Wally Pipp. First baseman, New York Yankees, he had a migraine headache. He tells the manager, I don't think I can play today. We got this kid from Columbia University named Lou Gehrig. Don't worry, he'll play first today. Guess what? Wally Pipp never came back to play another game. (laughs) And what happened? Lou Gehrig became the Iron Man, having played more straight Major League Baseball games. 3,000 consecutive games or something. any other ball player at that time in history. So remember out there... You know, you might be the next Wally Pip. Think about that. This is Lydia Reports on 77 WABC. Here's Lydia Serrani. This report is sponsored by the Seafire Grill. The number of children that have been shot in New York City in 2022 is at an all-time high. This according to the NYPD recent data as of December 18th. 149 kids were shot this year, that number much higher than in 2021 when 138 kids were shot. And if you remember, Curtis, back in 2017, when gun violence was at historic lows, just 75 children were shot. But as we always say, one kid shot is one too many. So I have to ask, what the heck is going on? Because we know that the majority of the per- the, the people that are doing the shooting are also kids themselves. Yep. Uh, well, stop and frisk would uh, eliminate most of that, uh, Lydia. Uh, look, I and the Guardian Angels, we do stop and frisk. When we see a young group of uh, boys, it's mostly always boys, but sometimes young girls, uh, we'll stop and frisk them. And they say, well, who, who are you? We say, well, we're the Guardian Angels. They, well, the cops don't even do that anymore. That's the problem. Cops have a really good instinct when they know the teenagers in the neighborhoods that they patrol carry guns. And they should have the right to stop and frisk them because most of these shootings are by young adults, young teenagers. And a lot of times it's retaliatory. And guess what? They shoot at their enemies and most times they miss and they hit innocent children who are nearby. You hear that all the time. I also think the pandemic really did a number on children. They were out of school for two years and they, f- they fell behind. We're seeing this also in Chicago and in Philadelphia and in a lot of other major cities. So it's not specifically isolated to New York City where kids seem to be completely out of control. They're carjacking people left and right. They're shoplifting. They're beating each other up. You re- it, it's what's going on at the home as well. Like there's just seems to be some sort of depression. There's a lot of kids doing drugs as well. And it, it frightens me what's going on with children these days. Well, it's dysfunction. A dysfunctional household is going to lead to dysfunction in the schools. The teachers cannot deal with that. Uh, in the malls, in the streets, in the subways. So whatever dysfunction is happening in the house, it's going to happen all throughout the neighborhoods. And so 
If you don't want it to be a police matter, then take care of your kids. Make sure you raise them right, because if not, then it becomes a police matter. And I would give a green light to the cops to stop and frisk teenagers who are up to no good. I remember when I was a reporter for Fox 5, Stop and Frisk was on its way out, and they had me go out to get neighborhood reaction. They call them MOS, Man on the Street Interviews. So they said to me, listen, Lydia, go to the Upper East Side and get people that are for Stop and Frisk. And then I want you to go to, like, say, 125th Street in Harlem and some kind of, you know, not-so-great neighborhoods and find people that are against it because that's where you're going to find the people that are against it. Curtis, it was the complete opposite. You went to the Upper East Side. You go to the Upper West Side. They're like, oh, no, stop and frisk is horrible. It's so inhumane. Then you go to the inner city communities, and they're like, no, bring it back. If it saves just one life, you know, I have to, when I when I travel, when I board a plane, I have to take off my shoes. I have to take off my jacket. If there's a kid hanging out on the corner in the middle of the day, guaranteed, he's probably up to no good. And I want the cops to to bust his chops and go up to him and see what's going on. And if it saves just one life, then it's worth it. But of course, you had a couple of those cops that took it too far. One of my friends, he's the nicest guy in the world, but he's a six foot, you know, six foot one black guy. And he told me once that he was simply walking down the street with his father when this cop was like, hey, you know, oh, do you, you got, I think I see something sticking out of your pocket. This was, you know, several years ago. Hmm. And he went down into the tombs and he could, this guy, and, and he had nothing on him, obviously. But sometimes you had these bad cops that just wanted to harass people. So I, I see where there, the pendulum swung way too far left, just like with the bail reform. Yeah, well, also the cops, unfortunately, had imposed upon them, as Patrick Lynch of the PBA said, quotas, quotas for stop and frisk. Well, you don't put quotas on stop and frisk. They already imposed quotas on parking tickets and moving violations. But as you know, when you ask anybody in City Hall, whether it was Rudy or whether it's Eric Adams now, no, they're just performance guidelines. No, they're quotas. And there shouldn't be any quotas for parking tickets or moving violations. And thank God there are no longer uh, there are no longer quotas for stop and frisk. But you also have to wonder what's going on. I hate to say this, but what are the cops really doing? Are they just reacting to the crime? Are they not Are they not allowed to be proactive? You actually sent me this story about the serial New York City shoplifter who's dodged jail um, he, for 27. He was he was nabbed for another 27 heists. Um, he has skirted jail time despite dozens of arrests. And he's accused of another 27 new heists at Manhattan pharmacies. And you guys mentioned it yesterday about all the Rite Aids that are shutting down. You can't even buy a tube of toothpaste without asking for somebody to come and unlock lock it for you. This is all preventable. Well, this guy was Wilfredo Ocasio, who's been busted dozens and dozens of times. His uh, pension is he likes Dwayne Reed. He hits all three Dwayne Reed stores downtown near Wall Street. He goes in and out. They know who he is. They know it's no sense stopping him because he uh, acts acts out psychotically. He knows that nobody's going to come up to him at that point. He gets arrested. He's turned back loose. It's Alvin Bragg. And you know what? He might as well just go into those Dwayne Reeds because he's going to be cut loose again and say, look, I'm not here to act out. No shooting, no looting. Just give me my Alvin Bragg swag bag. I'll, I'll work two aisles and I'll leave you all to your, the rest of your day. It, it's unbelievable the number of shoplifters who just go in and out, readily identifiable, 
and nothing happens to them. That's nothing. what you need, a Rocky Colorado bat. Oh, yeah. Uh, make their kneecaps sing and ring. You know what they used to do, John, in these retail establishments? They would hit them in the kneecaps, and then when the cops would come, they'd say, check about a block or two away, because you'll probably see a guy limping or a guy who can't <laughs> run anymore. And generally, that was true. I've never hit anybody, but when they see that Rocky Colorado bat, they run away. Well, let me just point out that within your ethnic threat... Lydia Serrani, being of Albanian background, the Albanians are tough. Nobody's coming into yeah. any store that they run or any restaurant or pizzeria and trying to pull. Well, uh, Greeks or Italians. That's right, because all of a sudden the bats, the sticks, the pipes come out, and they'll be that guy will be running down the block. Well, absolutely, because we work really hard for our money, especially immigrants. You know, we, we work really hard for our it's money to corporate. save, and we don't want somebody coming in and stealing what we what we work so hard for. My mom my mom would always say, similar to what you, John, said, she said, I'd rather somebody ask me for $100 than steal $1 away from me. Yep. Now, some of the corporate stores, the 785 corporate stores closed up in the five boroughs in New York, and it's horrible. I guess they don't have the conviction to uh, to stand their ground, and you know they just, they just uh, what do we? You you missed my other segment. We talk, go woke, go broke. Yep. And by the way, uh, there are a lot of people out there with a very left wing point of view. Ah, they got insurance. That's why no they're closing. Bro. They have no insurance. They've decided that they can't make their margins. It is a lot cheaper for them to just pay out the lease and close down than to stay in business. And it's like an easy pass for all the shoplifters, boosters, and people who want to loot. And then even Mark Cuban, the billionaire entrepreneur, he was on with Bill Maher on this podcast. And they were talking about how San Francisco, how it's basically become the toilet bowl uh, of the United States. And people are just defecating everywhere. And he said, it's sad. You have people there that are making millions and millions of dollars. And then you have people defecating in the streets. This is not America. This is not America. This is not. And yet that was supposed to be like this leftist utopia. Do we want the rest of America to look like San Francisco? Absolutely well, not. Governor DeSantis certainly doesn't want uh, Florida to look like San Francisco. No, no. And that's why and so Governor many. Abbott in Texas doesn't want Texas to look like right. San Francisco. But Florida for the first time in 65 years is the destination state for people around the nation, including California. It's the first time in 65 years. Most people want to move or have already moved to Florida. That says it all. Look, look how they run Florida and look how they run California. Look how they run New York. It's like people are just fleeing because there is no law and order, no public safety. There is a reason why there is this mass exodus from California. I think I read in the last two years, 500,000 people have left. John mentioned this yesterday during our show, the number of people that have left New York State. And you look at the the money, the tax revenue that they were bringing in. These are high earners that are leaving. And then in return, they're being replaced with, with migrants and I, I listen. I, I'm a child of immigrants. I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for immigration. But there needs to be a process put in place. And as Barack Obama said back in 2021, yeah, 2021. This is last year. He said it just as recently as last year. It's not sustainable to have open borders. And President Biden last night, when he was on his way to the Virgin Islands for his vacation, I would have used the audio, but it was too. Um, you couldn't hear it really. He was specifically asked, what do you think about Title 42 staying in place? He says, I think it needs to go away. It's long overdue. Then what? 
Title 42 was just a small deportation tool we used based on health reasons to keep people out of the United States. Yeah, but Once that goes the away, numbers. then what? Lydia, we talked yes. about those numbers yes. that uh, there are 16,000 migrants in one day. Mm-hmm. Only 2,400 of them were Title 42 that were turned away. We still got the other 14,000. Oh, and they're coming here. They're coming to New York. Remember, they're watching. Here. They watch on television. I asked Vito Fusella's gurus to, uh, to come up the 500,000 people, that taxpayers that left New York State how much taxes they were paying, and New York State is losing. Maybe we'll get Tom DiNapoli to do it. Sure. And 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 uh, what happens with the 500,000 migrants that came in that we're paying? It well, doesn't well, make right. any sense. Well, remember, uh, in addition to what we see coming across the border, from the Dominican Republic, they get on that ferry, they go to Puerto Rico, they don't go back. Once they're in Puerto Rico, they're in the United States. Likewise, where Joe Biden, the president, is going St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands. Once they get to the U.S. Virgin Islands, they're in the United States. They're not going back. So there are a lot of different ports of entry that we don't That's even right. think about where people illegally are getting into our country. And guess what? They're not going back. And you know most of them where they want to come? New York! New we York City, baby. We got to pay for them. Anyway. You know, Vito Fasella, we have to go. Vito Fasella said that just to put up a small family, say a four, costs taxpayers about $8,000 a month because they're put up in nice hotels. And keep in mind, you have to clothe them. You have to feed them. You have to educate them. You have to give them medical care. Again, this is simply not sustainable. And I think this is an issue that both Democrats and Republicans can agree on. It should not be a, a, a right wing or a left wing. It should be a red, white, and well, blue thing. The, this, Th- this is, report- this is oh, the uh, hors d'oeuvre of Lydia Serrano. She will be doing the full two hours today as Brian Kilmeade is away. Uh, from 10 to 12. And this report is brought to you by who? Seafire Grill, which is, by the way, Albanian-owned. It, it has is a great the food restaurant good? there. It's, a, it's very good. The service is amazing. The seafood is very fresh. You know, Albanians, we take pride in our service and our food. You know, we're like the Greeks. We're like the Greeks and the Italians. Very similar cuisine there. Seafire Grill, Midtown Manhattan, best seafood, fry, uh, great service. Check it out, thesefiregrill.com. I'm going to try that out. Yeah, it's right around the corner. Sounds good. All right. And See you at everybody remember, at 10 a.m. tune in, Lydia, at 10 a.m., to 10 to 12 today on WABC. And, uh, oh, you're going to have a great uh, show, I heard. Yeah, live and, live and local. connected 24-7. Join the conversation. Like 77 WABC on Facebook. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Yeah, well, Sid has put out an SOS to all of his friends. The pipes burst in his house in the Irish Riviera, the Rockaways. So, hey, you know, you know, Sid, he's not a maintenance guy. He didn't grow up reading Popular Mechanics. Uh, <laughs> he's knee deep in water. But one of his friends, maybe, maybe he can take his rowboat from out in uh, the south shore of uh, Long Island and work his way over the Rockaways. Some of it's still underwater. Is uh, Congressman Peter King. Uh, welcome again, uh, Congressman. Are you back in uh, Long Island? Yeah, I made it back last night. It was only like an hour delay. I came back on American Airlines. Everything uh, 
Everything worked out fine. You hear about these other thousands and thousands of people in the Strand. Of God. Southwest, hey, Southwest said, just, Airline uh, is a mess. Yeah, I tell you, it seems, I, don't know, I know nothing about airlines, John, you do, but they just seem to have done everything wrong. My God, it's just uh, terrible. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking, I, I was only delayed for an hour down in North Carolina, and you're sitting there, and yet you, you, you have this helpless feeling. I mean, it all depends on if you're going to go or not. That, that was only one hour right away. But I'm thinking these people waiting days and days. I mean, I don't know how well, you the management, that, the, management time of year. the management of Southwest Airlines is guilty. There's no way that these things, 2,500 flights canceled in one day. There's no way that they didn't know that was going to happen. And they should have told the consumers, they should have told the people flying that, you know, X amount of flights are going to be canceled. You know, and uh, they they should have told them up front. It's it's not yeah, fair no, I, I to agree. have people I just agree. laying around the the, the uh, you know the airports the way they are. So, by the way, I I was just texting Sid. I heard him on your show talking about you know the pipes bursting. My God, I, I'm like you, though, Curtis. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I you know, just imagine Sid going around trying to fix the pipes and the water flowing he took out. The pipe. God, it's, uh, now that's that is in Brooklyn. He took the pipe. He didn't listen to the Irish out there in the Irish Riviera. They he lived through that. House, he bought a beach house that wasn't winterized. Uh, anyway, he's, he's a great guy. I wish him well. And uh, he, he promised me he's going to vote. For, he's going to uh, root for Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl against South Carolina. So Now, question. Uh, John yeah. has unleashed a monster. On Monday night, George Santos did his first interview. And the guy has not shut up since. Uh, last night, I was on Jesse Waters before uh, Tucker Carlson would come on, and they said, Tulsi Gabbard is substituting. Tucker right. is away. And they told me, oh, yeah, George Santos is the guest. I said, oh, Madonna, my, this guy is now like a, he's like a yenta. And she asked him one question, and he went on for six minutes. And I got to tell you, Peter King, he dug himself a political grave. What is wrong with this guy? He can't stop talking. No, I'm, I'm no psychiatrist. He obviously has issues. I'm almost convinced that he believes this stuff when he's saying it. And uh, you're right, he went on and on and on. And then he said, I'm not a criminal. I'm not this. It made no sense. And again, Curtis, listen, you and I have been around politics. I've been in it. You've been around it. Uh, John certainly has been in it and around it. And listen, people exaggerate. People say things that aren't always entirely true. And I'm not saying it's right, but that can be human nature. But this guy, everything about him, I mean, everything that we found out, like, for instance, yeah, now he's saying that he never said he was really Jewish. He was Jewish, whatever that means. Then they have a speech he made just two weeks ago when he said, I'm proud to be the third Jew, the third Republican Jew in the United States Congress. Uh, I mean, just everything is a lie. And, uh, yeah, again, you're. Uh, you and John were talking earlier about the, you know, the cats and uh, what should be done. Well, apparently he'd set up. He claimed an animal protection charity, and the IRS has no record of it. I mean, all, we, we can go from beginning to end. There's nothing he said has been true. And whoever's advising him to go on television, you know, they say, you know, go on, uh, uh, come clean, tell the whole story. The more the story he tells, the worse it sounds. Yeah, and also yesterday, he's walking out of an SUV to assist his apartment in Elmhurst. Nobody knows this. Obviously, he must have tipped off the media. He walks right. in with two golden retrievers. He's got a bag from Hermes, a bag from Target, like he had just gone shopping. And you say to yourself, guy, 
This is not the time to be out and about as if you don't have a care in the world walking around with your two golden retrievers, a bag from Hermes, which means you spent a lot of money, uh, Target, and you're walking to your sister's house. How would they know you were going to your sister's house unless you let them know? He's loving every yeah, second first, of this. First of all, he, he had been saying he was living with his sister in Huntington. Who would have even thought it was Elmhurst? Elmhurst is not even part of that district. I, I'm, I'm convinced. So, again, it's just everything about him. Whether it does it from day to day, nothing adds up. By the way, Tulsi Gabbard is a real talent. I work with her in Congress. She's very smart. I don't agree with, agree with her on everything, but she's first class. She's a, a military veteran. And I thought she really eviscerated uh, uh, George Santos. But it's all it's all John's fault. He brought him on in the first place. Yep. Now, John, yep. you created a monster. You're like Dr. Frankenstein. Remember, before that, he took the code of Omanta. I'm not saying anything. I'll do right. it one time, one time only next week. He did it exclusively on John's show. And now he's blinded by the lights and the microphones. He won't shut up. No, he, he's talking and talking. You're right. He said nothing. John got him to talk, and now he, you know, now he can't stop. <laughs> and he's just uh, uh, something wrong with the guy, too. I mean, but that's, that's no excuse. On the other hand, I still think he's going to be seated. Uh, he'll be sworn in. But then they're going to begin those investigations. And uh, there's so much there. Usually, listen, Carol, Carol Maloney is a, was a good member of Congress. They brought her up on ethics charges because she went to a charity event without paying for the ticket. I mean, or she accepted a you know, ticket to a charity event. If they go after you for something like that, and as a good woman who was doing a good job, doing good work for a charity, and they nailed her for uh, some, again, this ridiculous infraction, this guy, there's a list a mile long. Primarily, though, it's going to be on the funding. Where did the money come from? This guy had no money to his name just a few years ago. He's being evicted from his apartment in Sunnyside. And next thing you know, he's donating three quarters of a million dollars mm. to his campaign. Mm. It's, and where did that money come from? And where did it turn? And if you look at his financial disclosure forms, they say nothing. Nothing adds up. And he was involved in one firm that apparently was engaged in a Ponzi scheme. So where do you begin and end with this guy? Well, well Zimmerman, his opponent, is screaming, oh, let's have a, a re-election. That's not going to happen. But I have a feeling. Peter King, that warming up in the bullpen, waiting for his moment to get back to that seat is Tom Swazi, who lost in his primary against uh, Kathy Hochul for governor. Uh, he's been in politics his whole life. I don't think he knows what to do in the private sector. Uh, I got to believe that he's thinking once they kick George Santos out, so George Santos leaves, I'm running for that seat again. Tom, a well one uh, to run. I mean, you're right. He's been in and out of public life for the last 30 years, I guess. He, he, he's still a relatively young guy. And yet he, he was elected mayor back in 19, late 80s, early 90s. And so now Tom is a very, uh, very uh, industrious guy, very uh, ambitious guy. He's got a lot of talent. But I think Robert Zimmerman would like to make that uh, rerun also. And listen, I've known Robert Zimmerman for 40 years. He's a good guy. And in fact, in his campaign, I pretty much stayed out. I gave a one-line endorsement to Santos because I just felt there was something fluky. I didn't know exactly all of it, but I heard a few stories here and there. I've never said a bad word about Robert Zimmerman. But for an advertising executive, Robert says he knew all this about Zimmerman. He got it out. But people weren't listening. The only way he could have gotten it out, if he had spent the last two weeks of the campaign doing television ad after television ad, bringing out all this against Santos, rather than talking about Donald Trump and abortion. There was a failure in the system. 
There was a failure in the system. The, the candidates uh, failed to expose it. The, the media failed to expose it. The RNC and the DNC or, or whoever is responsible failed to expose it. There was a failure in the system. Yeah, and what Robert should have done, though, he claims he had all this information. You can't expect people to be reading weekly papers to find out about it. You have to hammer it. Also, there's such a cacophony of noise during campaigns. He should have zeroed in on that one thing over and over again that uh, Santos is a liar. But, run ads well, on Peter, all that. Peter, you, you, you know that district. All you would have had along Northern Boulevard, once you pass Leonard's, everyone's been there either for a wedding, uh, a, a confirmation, a bar mitzvah, a bad mitzvah. It's just going to Great Neck where all the Persian Jews live now and say this guy's a fake Jew. That would have been it. It would have been over. The election would have been over. Zimmerman would have been your, your new congressman replacing Swazi in that district. And, you know, you're right about the ethnic politics because uh, the Iranian Jewish community in that Great Neck North Shore area has become incredibly uh, active and engaged. They, uh, you know, what an asset they are to Long Island. And they are... Uh, have been voting Republican very heavily. But again, if they thought that somebody was pretending to be Jewish, I mean, again, I can't speak for them, but I think that would have had a catastrophic effect on the Santos candidacy. Oh, no doubt. Now, uh, uh, Peter King, as we come into the new year, seems like there are serious uh, gray financial clouds hanging over the economy. Joe Biden has gone off to St. Croix in the Virgin Islands what advice would you give to your Republican co- colleagues who still haven't yet figured out as to whether McCarthy is going to be their leader in the House, their, the Speaker of the House? Yeah, first of all, every day that goes by is a wasted day. They have to uh, elect uh, Kevin McCarthy. I, mean, I like Kevin, but if, yeah, I don't see any other candidate out there. And to have four or five people block the election of a Speaker means Republicans can't get anything done. It means they can't begin investigations. They can't begin to announce uh, new policies. So, no, that to me, they, they have to knock off the stupidity and elect Kevin McCarthy as a speaker and tell those clowns that are uh, uh, trying to block things just for the hell of it that they are really hurting the Republican Party and also they're hurting the country. And so, first of all, elect a speaker. Secondly, they should begin these investigations, but they should not be making them front page stories yet. I mean, wait till they get all the information and then come out with it and show what happened you know, with the FBI, with, with Hunter Biden. Uh, what's the real story with the Joe Biden? And also, again, uh, they've got to come up with a solid border policy and really emphasize that. I mean, this is not a question of being humanitarian. Somehow, uh, Joe Biden makes it sound as if you uh, you want to stop illegal immigration and you're anti-immigrant. As John has said, he's an immigrant. I'm a grandson of immigrants. Uh, this country is made great because of immigrants. That's what separates us the rest of the world, but we have to do it legally. We have to do it in an orderly way. And uh, the people being hurt the most by it are the people who live in the underprivileged neighborhoods now in this country and the immigrants themselves were dying along the way and then come come here and they're, and they're suffering. It's bad for everyone. And I saw it personally on Long Island, MS-13, when they come in, when these uh, uh, we had a wave of illegal immigration back in 2014, 2015, the undocumented minors, they were called. We went on to have a carnage on Long Island. We had 25, just in my district alone, there were 25 people murdered brutally in 18 months by MS-13. And these were people whose body parts were cut off. They were chopped in pieces. There were videos sent to their families of what was done to them. It was terrorizing. It wasn't until Donald Trump got involved that was stopped. 
That's and right. Now, right now it's under control. It's still there, but it's under control. That's right. I was out there with you, Congressman King, with the Guardian Angels you patrolling were. Brentwood and Central Iceland. And what a lot of people don't realize, even though the buses come to the Port Authority in New York City, we see that every day now with the illegals, a lot of them are going right out to Long Island. They go to Hempstead, Absolutely. Central Iceland. They go to Brentwood. They're going out to Hampton Bays. That illegal immigration once again is flooding Long Island, which... What are they going to do? How many more schools can you build? How many more property taxes can people pay out in Nassau and Suffolk to support their local public school system? And, and those communities you mentioned, uh, hardworking people in Redwood and centralized stuff, again, they are, to a large extent, they're low income. You're talking about school districts that are having a hard time anyway. And then you have these kids coming in who can't speak English. No one really knows what their health records are. No one knows what their psychological background is. And they're dropped in. And you may get a 13-year-old kid with like a, 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 the education of a six-year-old. Well, well Congressman, Congressman Peter yeah. King, uh, your very dear friend, Sid Rosenberg, needs uh, a plumber's help. You're part of the Irish Riviera, South Shore, Long Island. Why don't you get in your rowboat, head out there, and help your very dear friend, because you're one of his number of friends on Sid Rosenberg and Friends in the Morning. I, I, I was doing for Sid, but I don't know if I'm going to swim for the waterfall. But in any event, uh, <laughs> that water is cold. It's cold. Maybe I'll walk on the water. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, uh, John, as we continue in uh, to the final hour, and we remember have, uh, Vito Fasella coming in at nine oh five, and Melissa DeRosa coming in at the uh, like nine twenty five, nine thirty. And remember, you got Lydia Serrano. He was on from ten to twelve, live and local programming. WABC does it all. Is Sid and friends in the morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. Taking you back to uh, the days of disco, John. Put on those dancing shoes. I remember those days of, wow, that was, well, wait, the 70s, the 80s? That's right. And remember, that was my year. I'd be out on the dance floor. I had the polyester waffle weave uh, shirt. Then I had the bell-bottom pants. We called them the marshmallow shoes. And I'd be like a whirling dervish for hours and hours and hours. But now you have created a monster, John. I want you to know that George Santos... Is literally like Lenslice is everywhere now. He's talking himself into a political grave. And before you had the exclusive interview with him on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion on Monday, he was a hermit. He was in hiding. He wasn't saying anything. Look at what you've done, John. The guy won't stop talking. He's like a male yenta. Anyway, do we have... Uh, Oh, yes, we have Vito Fasella on the line, borough president of Staten Island, regular guest on the 5 o'clock roundtable uh, discussion. Good morning, Vito. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning, John. Tell us what's going on in Staten Island. Well, today, John, I took a personal uh, liberty of wishing my wife, Mary Pat, a very happy birthday. So that's the big thing. we got a million people listening to the happy birthday wishes, Mary Pat. (laughs) So that's first. Um, But... You know, one of the things that we're trying to do is just get back on track. Uh, it was a story recently how so many people have fled New York City, New York State, and in, 
all it's done is quantify what we've already known, that a lot of folks, whether it was crime or the high tax rates or COVID or the combination of everything, basically decide just pick up and leave. Uh, they left from Staten Island, they left from Manhattan, they left from other parts of the states, and they went to more friendly, business-friendly uh, places, environments. And unfortunately, uh, they've taken a lot of the wealth with us. So there are a lot of folks who like to see people spend money across the board. Uh, you name it, they'll spend it. But without that money, uh, there's going to be a hit. So I think the goal in all of this is to try to make not only Staten Island more attractive to business owners and get, getting people to want to stay here, but frankly, all of New York City and all, all of New York State, because it becomes unsustainable at some point. Many months ago, John, you remember in Curtis, when the migrants uh, first came to New York City, they were welcomed on the buses and they were put up and everything was, was beautiful. And we said then that the, the the approach was unsustainable. It was going to cost $500 million, a billion dollars, and everybody laughed and joked. And and now in the last couple of weeks, uh, the chickens are coming home to roost, and in fact, that's what's happening. And likewise, these policies of just scaring and forcing people out of New York State for whatever reason is bad long-term strategy. We just got to get it back. So that, to me, is the big issue as we go well, into the new year. I, I think uh, your people are going to do a study, I understand, uh, yep. uh, to how much money uh, New York State has lost from or this, the middle class moving out, a half a million middle class, and then moving in a half a million migrants that want to get paid. Yeah, as you know, you're the best business, smartest guy I know, John. The, the model doesn't work. It can work uh, with Band-Aids and, and scotch tape in the short term, but long term, it's a broken model. Uh, we, there are estimates that New York, about $21 billion has fled New York State. 300,000 or so filers have left. Uh, while some have gone, say, from Manhattan to Dutchess County or, or Westchester to escape probably crime and, and COVID, uh, others have just picked up and said, we're out of here. We're done because the, we're the enemy. You know, the business owners are the enemy. The taxpayers are the enemy. But we'll welcome everybody else with open arms and put them up in hotels. You may remember that we asked the independent budget office to do a study and to house and accommodate one of the migrant families is $93,000 a year, more than, almost $8,000 a month. How many people out there who are traveling to work an hour and a half, two hours a day, uh, both ways, for example, have mortgages of $8,000 a month. Not many that I'm aware of. Uh, so we just have to get right the ship. And what you do with ABC every day, John, is just get the truth out, common sense. And we have to be optimistic that we're going we're gonna to win it back. And uh, I hope the good people out there who are listening uh, stand with us as we try maybe, to get the city to stand back. Maybe Tom DiNapoli will help because he's a common sense Democrat and he's got the numbers. Yeah, and, and that's all we're doing. We just put the numbers out there. We're not looking to, to to tell a narrative or a story. Frankly, we want the numbers to tell the narrative and the story. And we're going to be reaching out to anybody and everybody who can help us just put the numbers on a paper so ordinary common sense individuals can take a look and say, okay, well, how are we going to get the city and state back on track? Now, Borough President uh, Vito Fasella, Staten Island, you appeared with John last week on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, as you often do. You had a press conference conference in Staten Island with veterans uh, who live on Staten Island, and you talked about the fact how active military personnel cannot make ends meet, and yet 
we're providing the illegal aliens with all kinds of amenities, swag bags, Obama phones. How bad is it? Well, yeah, thank you, Curtis, for, for picking that up last week. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was one of these dichotomies that stares you right and smack in the face. Here we are, uh, not to be the dead horse, but we're, we're helping folks who've come here many illegally, putting them up in hotels and feeding them. And that's, I get it, you know, it's, I don't think it's a good policy. Meanwhile, you have active military personnel. In Staten Island, we have Fort Wadsworth. Um, Coast Guard is based there. You have Fort Hamilton. Army's based there. These young families, um, almost 200 of them, for example, can't afford basic necessities. So they have a food pantry on the base at Fort Wadsworth. That collects, among other, you know, canned foods and dry goods. But they also, 45 infants need diapers and wipes. These young people can't even afford to buy them because their salaries are so low. So we sponsored a drive to encourage people to donate those things. So here you have people defending their lives for this country, can't afford diapers. And if you come across the border, we put you up in a hotel and we house you indefinitely. It doesn't make any sense. It It makes zero sense. Yep. Well, that's the policies that are in place, and that's what we try to do, John and Curtis. Uh, we try to highlight them and f- and encourage and, and get people to pay attention, hopefully, so that we can change the course, change the policies, and put common sense at the middle of the discussion, not you know in some draw on the on the side. Well, I remember um, Borough President uh, Fasello. I think you were in City Council at that time. When uh, the Democrats moved to remove the naval base at Stapleton in Staten Island, which was a great base, naval personnel would come in, all kinds of ships would come in. It provided uh, a layer of protection for our city because we're always target number one of the terrorists. And the Democrats told them, sorry, see you later, bye-bye. They basically kicked them out. Oh, well, they fought him tooth and nail. You know, that was the uh, when Ronald Reagan was first elected, he talked about expanding the Navy, uh, encouraging a buildup of our military. And one of the locations was in New York Harbor on Staten Island. So you're 100 percent right. And they fought uh, that effort from day one. And despite all that, they finally put one there only to be closed because they weren't welcomed. And ironically, here we are almost 40 years later. Uh, practically 30-something years later, it's still vacant. There's a portion of it's been developed, but most of it's vacant. And that's the attitude of get the military out of here, the people who want to defend their their lives and defend our freedoms and support our liberties. They're the ones who are unwelcomed. They're the ones we want to push out. But there's a welcome mat for anybody around the world, regardless of who you are, to come here. And I get it. We're all immigrants. Vito, Vito, this is before AOC, the Democratic Socialists of America. I remember Guy Molinari and Tommy Manton of Queens, a Democrat and Republican, saying, no, we need the Navy to be here. And the other Democrats who have been in the majority here uh, in the Congress said, no, out you go. Get out of here. Imagine kicking the U.S. Navy out of the port of New York. Yeah, no, and, and that, that mentality, and it's, it's important to note, that mentality is stronger than ever right now of the, the military, the United States military is in a way the enemy. Just look, look at all the rhetoric, right? The America's a, United States is a bad place. The United, Americans are bad people. Stanford talks about banning the word Americans because it's bad. Uh, meanwhile, you can go support whoever you want, welcome whoever you want, and, 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 afford, we, and afford to pay them every single day 
day for food and everything else. It just doesn't work. And that mentality is, is exists at local level of government, the state level of government, and the federal level of government, not to mention the international. So those same people approach decision-making in the same fundamental way, which is why I think that, you know, the old expression, inflation is transitory. Is it still transitory? I'm just trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are, this is the rhetoric, and these are the people, and we just need to change the discourse and change the focus and change, frankly, change our priorities to put the taxpayer first and not uh, dead last. Now, last thing is traveling Staten Island, as I often do, uh, I see the for sale signs are up. And I know that in conversations with some of the people late at night, the last thing they do before they go to bed, uh, before they say their prayers, is they go online to check to see what property is like in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Texas, and Tennessee. How, as borough president, you and your other elected colleagues out there, do you try to stem the exodus uh, across the bridges and immediately going south? No, that's a very fair point. And we believe, you know, overall, listen, we've got a great country, great place. Staten Island's a great place to live, uh, to raise a family. The schools are good. Uh, the people are great. It's a very community-oriented, uh, neighborly place, uh, and, and we like that. It's a small town, frankly, in a big city, and the vast majority of things that happen are very good. You know, you've been here, Curtis, time and time again, great restaurants, great people, great stores, all that good stuff. We support our police. We want to keep crime down. We don't want the criminals to, to run the streets, and we do that privately and publicly. And that's the way you do it. You encourage people to say, yeah, that's where I want to be, and that's where I want to stay. We can't do much of what happens in other parts of the city, frankly. That's for others to decide. But in Staten Island, they need to know if they want to raise a family, they want a good school, they want a safe neighborhood, they'll have people who will publicly back them up. And we have to be optimistic that our best days are ahead, and I believe they are. Well, John, John put his best foot forward. Uh, he revived the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawk Stadium, brought the into independent minor league team in there, obviously, even though he lives in Manhattan. John, you're as uh, synonymous with Staten Island as anybody. I love Staten Island. Great people there, great middle-class people, and people love, you know, they, they, it's almost, Staten Island's almost a suburb of New York, and but great people, and, and uh, maybe uh, Vito will give us an update what's going on with that Ferris wheel, or what's, because they're yeah. looking to develop that north uh, shore of Staten Island. And, and that's a good way to, to demonstrate, you know, money. So John's, as we said, a suit businessman. He's going to put his money where there's going to be a good return. And I think that should be taught at every single level of rate, you know, what you get for your return. And the positive news is, as John has helped to revitalize the St. John's area downtown with the revived Ferry Stadium, I think it's going to have a great second season. You have many folks who are looking at the North Shore that has some of the best views uh, in the world. If you think of others, like whether it be Brooklyn or Hoboken or Jersey City, we have the same views of New York Harbor, of the skyline, of the Statue of Liberty. And I know people are looking there and want to develop, and there will be things happening. And the old wheel site that's been dormant for about a dozen years, I think is going to start moving in a different direction. Recently, we encouraged people to look at it potentially as a casino. 
Um, and we're, we want to attract capital. We want to attract business. We want to tell folks that Staten Island is a friendly place, not only, as I mentioned, to raise a family, but to open a business and create more good-paying jobs. Well, one last question. You're going to have to be Solomon-like with this. As uh, Pete Davidson has left his mother's home, and then he had his condo overlooking uh, the entire harbor area of New York on the North Shore. He's moved to Brooklyn He's no longer king of Staten Island. We have a fight going on here at WABC. You have Vinny Madugno, who teaches at Richmond High School, great entertainer, hosts his own program here five to six uh, on uh, Saturdays and Sundays, a great entertainment show. And then, of course, you have Staten Island's own Frank Morano. They both want to be christened the new king of Staten Island to replace Pete Davidson. What say you, King Solomon? Well, we fought the American Revolution in the 1700s to, to fight against the kings. So I don't believe in kings. But with that said, uh, the Davidsons, Amy is one of our dearest, if not dearest, friends. Uh, Peter and Casey are very dear to our family. So um, I'm not abdicating the throne just yet. So we want to see Peter do well, Casey do well, and let Vince and uh, Frank fight it out in the middle of New York Plain if they want. Most definitely. Well, do appreciate it. And thanks, uh, Vito Fasella, for being not only there to support the veterans, but most importantly, the active military personnel in New York. And Fort Wadsworth there, the Coast Guard, and obviously <laughs> Fort Hamilton, who can't even on a normal salary in the United States military make ends meet, John. And we're taking care of illegal aliens. And $900 a night for hotel rooms. Um, and, and Frank Silla. Frank Silla lives in uh, yeah. Staten Island, too. Another great guy. Great patriot. Always He's one of the best. Him. Thank you, folks. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Vito. Isn't that amazing, though? that it took Vito Fisella and veterans on Staten Island to wave the flag. You know, everybody was, like, oblivious. That the illegal aliens are getting more money coming here than active military personnel serving here who can't it even make ends meet. It's not fun. It's crazy. And what do we have coming up here, John? I noticed you have a whole... Uh, nobody comes on with me, if you notice. I never have guests. Could it be that nobody wants to be with me, John? Because they all want to be with you. The moment you put the uh, the word out, everybody wants to be with John Katz. Well, I, I had uh, Dr. Uh, Michalos was going to come on, but he's on a plane or, or going somewhere. I don't know where he's going. And uh, uh, I had Lee Zeldin coming on. Lee Zeldin is some going on a plane someplace else. And then you told me yesterday, hey, Curtis, go get a cup of coffee. Uh, I got a conversation here with Robert Zimmerman. Uh, go, go out. Get breakfast. I think, I think, you, I think he was scared of you. <laughs> Even though I'm saying George Santos should not be seated in Congress. Zimmerman is a nice guy. He's not a bad guy. Yeah, but maybe that's his problem. If he'd have been a little tougher, he might have hit the Google and might have learned all about George Santos. In fact, John, I don't even believe that that's his real name, George Santos. I want to see a birth certificate. Remember how Trump said, I want to see Obama's birth certificate. I want to see George Santos' birth certificate. Friends in the morning, 77 WABC. You know, he is the owner of this station. He is a great talk show host, and he produces in between segments. You, you I'm, the, I'm the booker, too. Yeah, you're like... I book, the, yes. I mean, they, they flock to you. They flock to you. Who do we have on well, now? Today, we have uh, Melissa DeRosa, one smart lady 
Uh, she was uh, secretary to uh, Governor Cuomo. And secretary doesn't mean you – it's like chief of staff. I mean, so she knows everything that goes on in the city, in the state. She knew what was going on. Melissa, welcome this morning to the Sit and Friends show. Thanks for having me. Now, there's so many things going on in New York State. I love your updates because you you have your ear to the uh, ground. You know what the heck is going on. And uh, uh, you mentioned to me this morning that you think uh, in the election of that common sense judge uh, for appeals that it's going to be shot down uh, and Governor Hochul is going to get shot. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I read in the Times Union this morning, and so then I sort of hopped on the horn because old habits die hard, and I made a couple of calls to people and then connected to the Senate to see what was really going on. And the Times Union reported, which I think they should have made the headline of their story, they sort of buried their own lead, but that currently the whip count is 15 to 20 Democratic votes against. And I just spoke to somebody who said that number is actually up to 21. So they could only lose 11 Democrats before needing Republican votes. And it sounds like they could have lost as many as 21. So, you know, Kathy Hochul may end up being the first governor in history to lose a court of appeals nomination, which is incredible. And I think a really bad sign in terms of political and governing strength going into next year, if that's true. And that means she picked, of the seven people that they recommended, she picked the one, the the one judge from Suffolk County that, uh, uh, that has some common sense. And uh, yeah. this, the, the Assembly and the Senate is going to shoot them down? So the Assembly actually has no role in this. It's purely Senate confirmation. And, you know, she, I think, believed this was going to be a historic choice because he is Hispanic and he would have been the first Hispanic chief judge of the Court of Appeals, and that's true. But In doing that, you know, it was a little bit of one-dimensional chess. She didn't see the whole board. She didn't, you know, I think properly appreciate, number one, how much backlash there was going to be from the far left of the party because, you know, they really wanted a public defender. They didn't want a former prosecutor. They didn't want somebody who they viewed as being more moderate, you know, particularly after Janet DeFiori. They wanted someone who was, you know, a far-left progressive And, you know, I think she sort of approached it in a more apolitical way, which I think is responsible. But, you know, she didn't she sort of misjudged the politics of what she was dealing with or if she was going to do that. She needed to make sure that she either cut a deal or had everyone else locked up. But then labor swooped in and the AFL-CIO and 1199-32BJ-CWA all came out resoundingly saying, you know, you can't possibly confirm this person because of a, a specific decision he had made allowing for a union leader to be held liable for defamation in their personal capacity, which, you know, very much upset them. And so all of a sudden you had the swift rejection from labor. And when that happened, you start to lose the moderate members because now you're not just talking about the far left, you're talking about the moderate wing. And so, you know, she botched it. The the rollout wasn't done properly. I'm not convinced they knew about this decision because if they did, then, you know, they really needed to do their homework on the front end with the labor movement and, cut a deal or give them some assurances or, frankly, say if there's a law that needs to be changed on that, we'll change the law. And, you know, it's it's a real debacle. Wow. Uh, Curtis, you had a comment? Oh, yeah. Uh, to Buffalo, Melissa, I remember all during the years when Andrew Cuomo was governor, even in New Rochelle during the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020, when that was a hot zone, 
he would immediately uh, activate the National Guard. Storms, floods, snow. In this case, it didn't seem that the National Guard was activated until it was too late. What should have been the procedures knowing that this... uh, 28 people died in Buffalo. Even more, 31 now, John. The body count keeps going. What what should have been the process of uh, activating the Guard and preparing for this storm? You know, it, when you're dealing with a storm, and every storm is different, and, you know, there's no no one is ever perfect when you're dealing with these. So let me start by saying that. But in this particular storm, they had five days' notice. The weather forecasters nailed the prediction. They were saying on Sunday it was going to rain Thursday, flash freeze overnight Friday, you know, a couple of feet of snow, high winds, lake effect snow. And so... The weather forecasters were sort of shouting this from the rooftops the Sunday before the Friday when the storm hit. And what I find most astounding is that sort of the the silence was deafening out of the governor's office. You know, if it were, you know, back when I was in, in the administration, we would have been doing press conferences in the lead in and sort of impressing upon people the severity of what was coming, say things like it's Christmas, either get out of town early or Go over to the store now and stockpile and make sure you have food and water and blankets and you're prepared and, the, you know, the, the lights could go out. You could be without power and sort of hammering that point home because the public really needs to see the government saying that over and over again so that they really get it and understand the severity. And, you know, it was sort of mind boggling. You know, she stayed in Albany on Friday. They were negotiating the pay raise on Thursday. On Saturday, after the storm, she and Catherine Garcia, her state operations director, are in Queens, where there was uh, there was some flooding, but, you know, minor compared to what was going on in Buffalo. And she doesn't show up to Buffalo until 5 p.m. on Sunday. And then to your point on the National Guard, when you have advance notice of a storm like this, the whole game is pre-deploying. You pre-deploy snowmobilers, you pre-deploy salt trucks, you pre-deploy, you know, every piece of equipment that you've got in place so that when the snow starts to fall, it can clear the snow, it can try to do everything it can to keep things safe for people. If God forbid people are stranded, it can help them in real time. And you get the National Guard called up and on the ground there. And I saw a statement from her, uh, her head of emergency services in the post yesterday, last night, that said, you know, it wouldn't have mattered, and the guard does things like brings water to medics after the fact and deals with mortality issues, and, you know, that's just that's just not true. I mean, I, I did one quick Google search and found in 2019 a storm of much less severity. Governor Cuomo had called up 450 members of the National Guard preemptively to be in place to deal with potential need of road closure enforcement, clearing snow, and helping stranded drivers. So, you know, it it feels to me by watching this, and again, it's not fair because I'm not in the room, but having lived through many of these storms and sort of seeing this play out, like a lot of this was mishandled. And I think they've got to take a good hard look at what happened here and and what didn't happen because there's going to be another storm. Well, also, Melissa, we're a national embarrassment now. Every broadcast shows looting in uh, parts of Buffalo because police were not able to respond. They were having to multitask. Had the National Guard been put into place, regardless of who was going to deal with public safety and who was going to deal with restricting traffic, that would have been such a tremendous help to the Buffalo uh, uh, Police Department and Erie County Sheriff's Department. 
So possibly this looting would not have taken place. You know, I think a show of force is always helpful as a deterrent, Curtis. I think that, you know, it's not just the National Guard. It's also, you know, when we were dealing things like with the George Floyd protests that turned violence in 2020, you know, we also dispatched a large number of state police to help with show of force. You know, there's a lot you can do in terms of getting boots on the ground, uniform boots on the ground to help deter these kinds of situations. And so, again, I I think that, look, this isn't her first one. You know, she was our lieutenant governor for seven years. She didn't really play a substantive role, but she was there. So, you know, I'm not sure why, you know, this all sort of looks like it went so sideways. But I really hope that, you know, they take the time to look at what happened here so that it doesn't happen again. Because, you know, sometimes you don't have advance notice and sometimes the forecasts are wrong. But when they're not, you've got to get it right. Let me ask you one last question, uh, Melissa, and, and uh, Happy New Year. Um, if if the state Senate uh, screws Hochul and vetoes that judge, uh, does that mean she could veto the pay raise, or did she sign off on that already? She had preemptively made public statements saying that the legislature deserved a pay increase and that she was going to support it. Now, I'm hearing that a little bit behind the scenes, there is some jockeying about, you know, if you don't do the judge, you might not get the pay raise. But at the same time, you know, the judge appointment is belongs to the state Senate, not to the assembly. So I'm sure that Speaker Heasty would say, this has nothing to do with us. And you gave us your word and we have a deal. And, you know, I'm sure the state Senate is going to say you sent up a judge that, you know, is unpalatable to labor. So what do you expect from us? And also, you know, this wasn't your deal on the front end. So are you going to really try to retrade and make a deal on the back? And it was just completely botched. But to your question, John, of course she can. I just you know, don't believe that she will. I think that that would be a declaration of war with the legislature, and I don't see that from this governor. Well, thank you so much, uh, Melissa DeRosa, and thank you for everything you've done for our state and continue to speak out for our state. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye. And let's take a break, and when we come back, you never know. Maybe you'll have just me and Curtis. You'll see. (laughs) This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Well, we're back. I don't like this music, so I come back well, faster. Well, this is a uh, little vertigo well, from, from U2. little U2 vertigo. Uh, what is uh, right now is one of the founding. His family is a, part of the founding families of, of Buffalo, uh, Bert Flickinger, the Flickinger family, and wants to give us an update. Uh, and I know, Curtis, you're upset about what's going on in Buffalo. Bert, uh, what the heck is going on in Buffalo? Is it getting cleaned up a little bit? A little bit, John, but uh, to your credit with Curtis and Melissa DeRosa, uh, the the planning uh, for the storm was just pathetic. There's a rule up there called the seven P's, proper prior planning prevents particularly or piss poor performance, and that's what it was. Uh, This storm was well known seven days in advance, and Governor Hugh Carey, uh, before the blizzard of 77, had the Army Corps of Engineering in from Fort Bragg, uh, thousands of uh, National Guard troops, Army, Navy, uh, Marines, 
worked with my father to plow all the roads from all the food warehouses to the food stores and have a thousand snowmobile fleets to pass prescription medicine and critical food through uh, the windows of second and third story house attics, um, ATT, ICS, uh, to, to keep people fed and get emergency supplies. In the blizzard of 77, uh, the casualty count was uh, tragic, uh, but in the 20s, we've got 33 dead and the counts climbing. And it's all because uh, the governor didn't even bother to read her own playbook because in the Buffalo Bills, uh, New England Patriots playoff game a year ago, uh, she had no state troopers directing traffic to go from the stadium uh, to her home on the waterfront. A few miles took four hours and kids were freezing in their cars with, with their with their parents and she had a dress rehearsal a year ago uh, and took no corrective action, no continual improvement. And John, uh, what you and Curtis do, uh, you, Margot, Curtis and Nancy are like Teddy Roosevelt's rough riders. Well, Bert, uh, addressing Bert, all the problems that nobody else has reported. And thank you. In the early eighties, uh, the Polish community at the Polish, uh, market on Broadway. I remember it like it was yesterday, nine, nine, nine Broadway, off of Fillmore, huge Polish gathering. Now a shell of itself. I had brought Nancy, who was all Polish back there. It made me want to cry. But I remember how cold it was. And one one day in the 80s, the snow, typical snowfall, we were stuck in a retail establishment. That was our headquarters. We had to break up the desk, the cabinet, put it in the stove, you know, the old stove, uh, potbelly stove to keep warm, or we would have gotten frostbite. People forget how cold it gets in Buffalo, those winds off Lake Erie, and the snow, the ice, and the sleet. And, and Curtis, you're right. Uh, John and Margo's uh, great friend, uh, Joey Potts and Pans to Cama, uh, when he went up uh, to work for Fabergé in Buffalo, his, his nostrils froze to death and he left because he, he thought he wouldn't survive. And your your knowledge of history is just breathtaking. 999 Broadway, uh, home of Statler's, Cookie Gilchrist's favorite department store and next to Krzyzewski's, uh Bakery uh, on Paderewski Drive right near Waltz Avenue at the train station. Uh, great history. My sister Catherine Schweitzer is re- trying to restore the uh, train station and all the uh, Frank Lloyd uh, Wright architecture, which is transformational in the city, uh, but have, have gotten surprisingly little money uh, from uh, fed- federal government despite the seniority of the staff. And uh, Buffalo's been, like you and John described, Curtis, as a population drain. Uh, for decades, and they have a great medical quarter with the Jacobs Medical Institute for Innovation and Engineering uh, downtown, which which gets no funding, and it's the only area of creating jobs for neural and vascular uh, surgery and innovation, invention, and engineering. And uh, Boston uh, Medical Quarter gets all the money, uh, but uh, Buffalo doesn't. And uh, Curtis, uh, your and Nancy's Polish heritage is is great in Buffalo because, as, as you guys know better than I do, uh, after Warsaw and Chicago, there are more great Polish people in Buffalo than any other city in the well, world. They're, they're all they're all they all fled to Cheektowaga, Tonawanda, yeah. Amherst, <laughs> Lockport. They're all in the suburbs. By the way, no looting in the suburbs, John. Not not a uh, a loaf of bread, not a container of milk. 
stolen in the suburbs, all in the inner city, and all of that could have been prevented. All of that could have been prevented. Great. Curtis is completely correct, John. Uh, Butch Castellani, who's uh, Wine Merchant of the Year, uh, owns a store in Chittawaga and gets extorted uh, every, every day every day by criminals to open his store. But the Chittawaga PDs there in a matter of minutes, and uh, they lock him up. And if they have to lock him up every day, they do it. But they uh, maintain public safety, and it's a different uh, different deal in the city than it is in Chittawaga. And Cur- Curtis. Uh, your knowledge of, of world history, national history, and, and regional history is, is just breathtaking. Uh, and, and along with John, just so impressive and such a great listen, whether uh, w- whether it's uh, midnight to 6 a.m. or, or every day at 12.15 uh, or, or uh, in, in, be- in between uh, shots on uh, Sunday and weekends, uh, you should syndicate nationally and internationally because you'd have a Bob Grant and and uh, you hit it, you hit uh, it, John, you I, hit it. John. Well, well, for those you of you it. who don't know, for those of you, Bert Flickinger's family had the largest wholesale grocer in Buffalo. They were the stable uh, business in Buffalo. Tell us about your your father's company. Uh, John, they they came out of orphanages. They didn't know their last name was Flickinger. Uh, this, uh, their mother's uh, 13th birth to the twins. Uh, she tragically died, uh, raised by Bert Prentice, uh, who, who uh, uh, started them in their first food stand when they were 21. And uh, they, uh, they were, uh, AMP tried to put them out of business illegally. And then uh, what, what happened, and Curtis knows this, this story well, uh, they formed the co-op movement and founded Red and White and IGA over 10,000 stores and collateralize their inventory to give store managers upfront money to own and operate his or her own store and continue on into uh, chain. So they started retail franchising in the co-op movement. Uh, Revco, Trader Joe's relatives started Woolworths, uh, but all all out of orphanages uh, based on the golden rule, do unto others as one would have do, uh, done unto himself or or herself, and in the backbone, John, and and this is this is no hyperbole. The backbone was the great Polish people who came in the 1800s and uh, during the 30s from Germany. Tremendous intelligence, tremendous professional and personal uh, work ethic, supporting Father Baker uh, in uh, the Our Lady of Victory Basilica, one of the most beautiful anywhere in the world, in South Buffalo and Lackawanna, and the Botanical Well, Garden. me and you are going to be in Buffalo January 10th. Yes, sir. Wait, what, what to get? Want to get you together with my sister because she, she's in charge of uh, historic and business uh, development there. And um, uh, ideally, if Curtis and Nancy could. Uh, go up too, please, uh, with their their knowledge of, of the history. And I'd love uh, Nancy and Curtis to meet with my sister because who are we uh, supposed to be speaking? Who are we supposed to be speaking in front of? Uh, is it is it uh, Deuvel or or um, at the Buffalo uh, Club or? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the Buffalo Club where where you were last time with uh, and the Paul Chamber Howard. of Commerce or something. Yes. Yeah. Badly needed, but uh, on a more practical matter, every morning I go out for simple scrambled eggs. I can't eat except I had chronic Crohn's disease. I just plate scrambled eggs. 
It's like extortionary. And I realize the price of eggs have gone up. But does this mean egg creams are going to go up too? Because there are no eggs in egg creams. <laughs> what, what's happening? Eggs have skyrocketed. Curtis, you, you, you and John have been calling it uh, for the country uh, from the from the beginning, and you, you're you're absolutely right. Prices are high, and they're going higher because uh, the corporate greed greed from the food and beverage uh, big brand companies is insatiable. And he, even though uh, the prices of uh, grains are coming down and eggs will come down during during the new crop year, Bert, give us your projection of food prices. That's uh, Bert's. Uh, uh, specialty. Uh, where, what do you see food prices in the next 90 days? If the price of oil stays in the 70s, what happens to food prices? If the price of oil stays in the 70s, John, uh, we'll uh, tick on new inflation at, at about 7%. And Flickinger operations ran from eastern Canada and the Great Lakes region in the northeast uh, to the Gulf of uh, Mexico and Montgomery, Alabama. And, uh, we were uh, fully and horizontally integrated uh, from the farms uh, to the food and beverage manufacturing plants, the warehouses to the stores. So really well connected to all all parts of uh, agriculture. And I teach at Cornell and the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences as the executive lecturer, but uh, they're really tuned tuned into the uh, uh, price price of uh, crops. Are the manufacturers going to reduce prices or are they just going to deal much merchandise? Uh, just deal merchandise, John, and your Gristides and D'Agostino ads, uh, like uh, your friend Morton Williams, uh, very powerful promotions. And, and, and uh, uh, that's the only way to save is because uh, the brand uh, companies, even when there are no uh, grain and crop increases, they, they still well, now, put through, now, you now, said, now, two Bert, to three price increases a year. Bert, speaking of brand, uh, we started the day speaking about when Nelson Rockefeller was governor, uh, one of the world's richest men at that time. His chauffeur happened to be Governor Pataki when he was uh, just making his bones in politics. And he said the governor, whether he was staying at one of the luxurious hotels back then in the late 60s or 70s in downtown Buffalo or anywhere in the state, would order two things, a bottle of Dubonnet and a package of Oreo cookies. I want to know, what the hell happened to the price of Oreo cookies? You got to take a payday loan, a reverse mortgage to get a simple bag of Oreo cookies. Curtis, you're so right. This is like Philadelphia, Mississippi, where you have to take out a payday loan uh, to to pay for over seven dollars uh, for for less than t- uh, two dozen Oreo cookies in, in in one one small container. Outrageous, and it's great you called it out. Well, it's interesting that one of the world's richest men at that time only had one simple ask when he stayed at a hotel in the state, uh, John a bottle of Dubonnet that you would see a wino out in the street drinking, and a package of Oreo cookies. <laughs> the world's richest guy at the time, Nelson Rockefeller. Cindy Adams de- de- demands uh, a Malamars and uh, animal crackers. Yeah, I know. The one, th- one thing from Rockefeller to the Cuomo's, uh, the New York State Thruway, you could drive from... Uh, California to Pennsylvania and not pay a dime in tolls. And the New York City uh, Thruway is the biggest tolls, and it's still a two-lane road for uh, one of the most populous uh, states in the country and just outrageous. And uh, 
the the plowing when when I when I was uh, going going towards Buffalo on Friday, uh, the plowing the governor uh, to Curtis and you and Melissa DeRosa's great points. The plows were parked on the side of the road, Utica, Rome, New York, uh, Schenectady, uh, Vernon, Syracuse, and not even plowing and treating the roads. And, and I, I survived that hanging since uh, surfers break. We're, we're out of time. Out of time. God we're out bless. of time. Thank uh, you. And have uh, a you, great your day. your families and, and the McGurks and, and everyone for a blessed 2023. Thank you so much, uh, Bert. And, uh, by the way, John, and, you, you uh, sure they're going to dig out Buffalo by January 10th when you're supposed to be up there? Yeah, the, the, the airport <laughs> might be still closed. You never know. But what are we going to do? You know, uh, stay, in, stay tuned for... Uh, uh, oh, Lydia Serrani. Lydia Serrani between 10 and 12. Then again... Again, Curtis at twelve to one. That's right, and uh, all live and local. Then here. me at five mm-hmm. and six, and uh, WABC is here for you all day. Thank live you and so local much. programming as it as and John what do we do tomorrow? Well, me and Curtis will be back tomorrow. What do we do tomorrow? Don't worry, there's so much. You, the producer, you have more contacts than uh, <laughs> Swifty Lazar had years ago. The number one impresario. In a city. If you had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients, and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.